Thank you for tuning in to the First Gen Hunter Podcast, the go-to resource for those seeking to establish a foundation in hunting knowledge, skills, and tactics. what you eat. You think like you read. You hunt like the informational hunting podcast that you listen to. Mm, I don't know if it has quite the same ring to it. Anyways, I hope you're finding this podcast helpful, especially those of you who are already out in the field. Brandon has some really cool news to share about a person he knows who already had some success knocking down the biggest buck of his life so far this season. Hopefully we'll start hearing more of those success stories here very soon. Speaking of success stories, this episode is a success story of epic proportions. Or maybe it's just epic portions because uh, the guy we're interviewing, Mr. Joe Shedd from Joe Shed Outdoors and GoShedHunting.com killed a moose. Yep, did a solo moose hunt. And he's from a state that has moose, but there's not enough of them to hunt. So it was an out-of-state trip all the way up to Alaska and did it all by himself. Yeah, pretty crazy. And when you hear the story, you're definitely going to think it's a crazy story. But such a cool story about just getting out there and fulfilling a dream. So, make sure that you still are dreaming up those hunts that you would like to do before uh, you can't do them anymore. And sometimes, just like in this story here with Joe Shedd, you gotta seize the opportunity when it presents itself. So, keep on dreaming, keep on listening, and get ready to enjoy episode 20 of the First Gen Hunter podcast. A solo moose hunt story with Mr. Joe Shedd. Hi, Brandon. Hello, sir. You know, I did that. I did that annoying. You know, like hi, Brandon thing because I've noticed on all of our like uh, intros, like our like how we break the ice, just getting into the podcast. I sound mm-hmm. like this annoying younger brother, which I think is <laughs> really fitting, you know, to our relationship because. You know, I met you when I was uh, an annoying sophomore in high school, and I came and, like, stayed in your dorm room. And uh, then I was the annoying freshman when you were the senior ready to get out of the dorm. And now I'm the this inexperienced hunter, and you're this 30-year vet, and you're, like, sharing all your wisdom with me. So I just think it's fitting that I have to, like, start out in this kind of annoying, you know, what you doing kind of, kind of uh, way. 
Well, hey, you know, it, it's 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 not minded. It's appreciated. And, you know, just like we've talked about uh, many times, you know, there's there's always something to learn. And it's cool to be able to learn, you know, even for myself from you, you know, it's like, you know, breaking into an industry, you know, sometimes, you know, even in work, you know, when you have someone that's new to an industry and they come in with a fresh set of eyes, you know, it's amazing what sometimes you can learn from someone like that. So even those individuals, those, those, you know, first gen hunters that are new to hunting, you know, don't sell yourself short, you know, sometimes coming in, you know, new, you've got great questions. Um, you've sometimes got solutions to things that, you know, some of us who have been doing it for a long time, you know, would really benefit from. So I'm, I, I'm very thankful for what I've learned as well. So I think it's working out very well both ways so far. Awesome, man. You just like said that super maturely, you know, you could have just been like, yeah, dude, you are annoying, but no, you, uh, you were nice and positive and, and, uh, gracious there. So I appreciate that. Well, Hey, I also have, you know, two younger brothers as well. So, Hey, I, I, I don't mind being the older brother too. I'm all right with that. <laughs> yep. 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 I was, I was wondering how that, how the age structure, uh, is it yes. shook out there? Yeah, shook yes, out in the, yes, the, yeah. the Martin family. Like so. years apart. You know, each of us are about two years apart, so it's kind of it, it worked out well. We were kind of you know the youngest was kind of the <laughs> the outcast early on, but then you know he got older and and of course then he became a a firefighter and a marine and oh, man. everything else. And so the, us two younger boys realized that he could probably take us down whenever he wanted. So we we got real nice to him. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> You know, my, so it's all come full circle. <laughs> yeah. 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 You know, my, my wife has this like cutesy, uh, she's a nurse. She's a nice you nurse. Yeah. She has this cutesy coffee mug that says cute enough to start your heart, but skilled enough to restart it. You know, your brother could probably be like <laughs> dangerous enough to take your life, but, yes. but trained enough to revive it, you know, with the whole, like, there you uh, go. Marine Absolutely. And, uh, well said. <laughs> oh man well that's not what we're here to talk about tonight tonight is like a coming full circle moment for me as a first gen hunter this is this is a really cool opportunity for me because the first guy i ever listened to on a podcast yes the very first podcast i ever listened to which really wasn't that long ago but it was it was close in when I first started hunting and as I has been said in previous episodes and Jake has made fun of me in previous episodes, I get super sleepy when I'm driving late at night Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and I started listening to podcasts when I was going hunting and I had to travel to my hunting ground. And the first podcast I ever listened to was an episode of the wired to hunt podcast I was mm. like, you know, I, I could use some uh, hunting tips. And yeah. as I was scrolling through the episodes on the Wired to Hunt podcast, I saw there was an episode on shed hunting. And before I ever got into deer hunting, I got into shed hunting. In fact, I think I found more sheds before I ever killed a deer. Uh, you know, I found like several, you know, several sheds going out shed hunting and I yeah. still hadn't even killed a, a deer yet. And and so I really loved shed hunting before <laughs> I even got into hunting. And the guy on that interview was Mr. Joe Shed. He is an expert on shed hunting. In fact, uh, he has written, I believe, still holds the title for the only 
book on shed hunting. Now, someone will probably, you know, prove me wrong or something. But if it's not the only, it was the first, all right? <laughs> and yeah. uh, and it's a great book. It's a super instructional uh, book, and mine's all highlighted up and everything because I bought my own copy. But Mr. Joe yeah. Shed was on that interview, and Mr. Joe Shed is with us tonight. Joe, thanks so much for coming on the show, man. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Like I said, this you know, I feel just tickled that you would uh you'd be willing to give us some of your time and, you know, hearing hearing uh ha- or having a conversation with the first expert that I ever tuned into and somebody who uh, really played a a role in, you know, I guess shoving me into the the great world of hunting. So, I really uh I really appreciate you coming on. Yeah, I'm glad to be here. I, I hope I got you into something good, not something that you're going to get into trouble with. <laughs> it, can become, it can become kind of an addiction. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You're, no, you don't have that, you know, speaking of all this, uh, this, these family relationships here, you don't have that role of, like, the older cousin. You know what I mean? Like, the older cousin is the one that always gets you into something wrong. And, yes, I'm looking at you, uh, Brian Elrod. But, uh, anyways, uh, you... You, you definitely played a, a big role in that, and and I gotta say, you know, it was something that I think was bound to happen, just because I, I uh, always wanted to hunt so bad growing up, and and uh, even as I was, you know, uh, an adult, and uh, so I, I'm really really thankful for, for uh, helping with that. But Joe hasn't only shared his expertise with the Wired to Hunt podcast and now the First Gen Hunter podcast. Uh, Joe has been on other podcast interviews that I've heard. And um, he also is a, a pretty regular writer for a couple different outdoor magazines. Um, I've seen his articles in Deer and Deer Hunting magazine and mm, uh, mm-hmm. Fur Fish and Game magazine. That's, a, that's an old outdoor magazine there. And, uh, and any others that you've written for, Joe? Yeah, I've, I've written for a variety. Um, I do a lot of stuff uh, pretty frequently for outdoor uh, um, news here in Minnesota and Wisconsin sure. Outdoor News over in Wisconsin. Um, pretty regular there, and, and I you know dabble in some other publications from time to time as well. Sure, sure. Yeah, and of course uh, he uh, wrote. Do you know if it's still the only book on shed hunting, or uh, I I really don't know. There's some other stuff out there. Um, I'm not really sure if it's the only book or not, but so it's it's the best book, right? <laughs> that's right. That's there right. That's, that's right. right. Yeah. <laughs> and it was the first one. It was the first one for sure. So, yeah, it was honestly, truly. I if if anyone is interested in, and when we say shed hunting, you know, I had a friend the other day who uh, told me he was in one of those awkward situations where he like had hunted a handful of times. And um, he uh, was with his boss, and his boss was like an avid hunter, and he somehow got the idea that my friend was also an avid hunter, but like he just knew enough to be dangerous, you know? And uh, yeah. his boss was talking with him, and they're on like some work retreat or something, and he's like, hey, uh, John, do you have, do you do any uh, shed hunting? 
<laughs> he's like, what is this guy talking about? Like going around looking for like lawnmower sheds, <laughs> you know, he's, and he, he had no idea what he was talking about. So I guess we shouldn't just assume when we say shed hunting that everybody knows what we're talking about. We're talking about shed antler hunting deer, deer, uh, shed their antlers every year and uh, grow back a, a new set the following year. And it's a lot of fun to go try and find the ones that they uh, dropped off their head uh, at mm-hmm. the, oh, usually late winter, early spring time of year. So, yep, Joe re- wrote the book on that, and he is an avid shed hunter. He's you have some more content on shed hunting too, don't you, Joe? Like a you have a you have a channel I know, and then you've released a couple uh, videos people can watch. Yeah, I've got a couple of DVDs that are out, and uh, I've got uh, a website, GoShedHunting.com, that I share some information on there quite a bit, and a Facebook page. Uh, it's called Go Shed Hunting on Facebook, and I regularly post about my finds and some tips on how to find antlers, and uh, welcome people to share their finds as well. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> That's awesome. It, it's great content. I've been following it for several years, and. I learn new stuff all the time, and Joe goes on really cool shed hunting trips. And I think one of the things about shed hunting that is so much fun is you don't need a tag for it. You don't need, um, like, really expensive gear to do it. You just need basically a good set of boots, you know, maybe a good mm-hmm. backpack with uh, the right gear packed in with it and and that kind of thing. Otherwise, you know, you can just kind of roam where where you have permission to roam and and see what you can find. So follow Joe in those places and um, you see the content he's got there. And I will also say this, Joe has a great sense of humor. <laughs> and uh, his, yeah. his, don't, don't tell the people to follow me to these places. I want to still find antlers. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's true. You know, I think about that sometimes. I was watching a, a hunting show just the other night and the host was like, yeah, we're hunting in this area here. And most people who hunt here, we like to try and keep it a secret. It's like, well, not a secret anymore, man. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> so, yeah, it's kind of yeah. we, we kind of have to we kind of have to uh, accept that fate, though. I think when we enter into this uh, this area of uh, communicating and sharing tips and everything, but no, it's good. We need we need more people outside and and uh, more people having fun. But but yeah, uh, you want to find out you want to find Joe's uh youtube channel as well um which is joe shed outdoors correct yeah yep joe shed so j-o-e and then shed is s-h-e-a-d and joe shed outdoors and i mean some of his videos are just you know cool videos him finding antlers and stuff but some of them are just downright hilarious too so he's got a good sense of humor but (laughs) i i won't uh i won't spoil uh spoil what those are you got to go check it out for yourself so (laughs) Oh, you said we got more more good stuff brewing on the way. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's... <laughs> Hopefully, get some new content up here in the in the coming weeks here. Yeah, and it's not just uh, hunting and shed hunting either. Uh, you're a fishing guide for your uh, regular job, correct? Yeah. Well, I guess not uh, not my full time job, but I'd, I'd like to work towards that direction. I guess at least in uh, the summer months. Sure. Yeah. Uh, is it? It's Musky Doom Guide Services, right? Is that is that correct? Yeah. Yep. Yep. And very uh, cool. Again, following Joe on social media, you'll see he boats quite a few muskies every summer, and and even even some. I think you caught a great lake trout this summer, didn't you? Wasn't it like your best lake trout you ever caught, or something like that? 
Yeah, yeah, I caught a really kind of a once in a lifetime lake trout uh, here in Minnesota, and uh, yeah, that was that was the fish of a lifetime. It was really fun. Got some video of that on on the YouTube channel as well. Yeah, nice. Yeah, it was really it was a giant. It was it was an absolute monster. But um, wow. Yeah, so all sorts of good stuff to to follow there, and and obviously Joe is is truly a man of the outdoors, somebody who is passionate about what he does, passionate about getting outside, and um, really for a long time now has been sharing his tips for success with with uh, many other folks, and just really generous with with uh, how he shares that information. So make sure you uh, tap into that. But I can't forget our other expert on the line here. That is Mr. Brandon Martin. Brandon, how how are you doing, sir? Doing wonderful, sir. It is, uh, you know, here we are in Delaware. We're blessed with uh, deer season opening up September 1st. And uh, so we're just been been blessed with, you know, checking the trail cams and enjoying getting out a little bit. Haven't, you know, just been so busy with work, haven't been able to get out too, too much, but um, did have the opportunity to put in a couple kill plots um, yesterday, just kind of miniature food plots on a couple of the properties and um, was actually able to uh, locate it, found a, another uh, great shooter buck on one of the properties showed up on cam. Um, great nine point uh, that you know we've now identified five shooters on on one property and and about four on another. So I mean it's it's looking looking very promising. And so we're just being smart about things, kind of getting some of that initial work done um, with the you know the time that we have. You know trying to balance the family time and the the hunting time and whatnot. So you know this time of year we like to many times use the the mornings to get some stuff done and then you know, evening, spend some time with the family and whatnot. And then we'll, you know, start to transition to some more hunting as we get into the, uh, the October, uh, timeframe. So just some good stuff going on. Love, you know, identifying those shooter bucks and, um, getting inventory and all that type of good stuff. So a lot of exciting things going on. Also did just have, um, you know, one of the guys that I'm mentoring this year, uh, getting him into hunting for the very first time he came over, um, just a few days ago and was able to, shoot the crossbow, you know, and that was his first time shooting a weapon like that. And he, you know, really enjoyed it. And so, awesome. uh, we've got, you know, got a, quite a few, you know, two man stands. And I think I'm going to, you know, he's in the process of going through the hunter safety course right now. Um, and I think I'm going to take him up with me and he'll hunt with me a couple times just to kind of get the, the feel of things being out there and whatnot. So he's, he's really excited. So anytime, you know, someone's getting excited about that, that just, you know, it just amps you up, you know, when someone else is getting excited, just getting into it. And, you know, we all remember, you know, what it was like when we, you know, just started yeah. falling in love with things. And so, you know, just him being able to shoot a little bit and us talking about things, you know, it was like, man, I, this is, you know, this is more involved than I kind of thought it would be and man i'm just really excited to learn more and you know he doesn't have a you know huge expectation he's just looking forward to learning and he'd he'd be tickled to shoot a doe or, or something this year you know so we're going to try to try to hopefully get him his first deer this year we'll see how it goes so yeah I'm, I'm just excited to be able to mentor someone and just build a friendship and and more of a relationship and you know as we say you know, it sounds it sounds cliche as we as we say it now but you know we really enjoy you know that fellowship you know that brotherhood sisterhood of the great outdoors and you know that amplifies everything that we do you know so we're we're just excited to have another season to enjoy that yeah that is so cool man that yeah that's great. That's, that's really great to hear it's great to hear uh new new people getting into it and yes. excited about it you know kind of on my end i've had a, a handful of people around me you know who are are um yes getting into either bow hunting this year or they're just taking hunting up a level or they're even hunting mm -hmm. for the first time and it's just so exciting to see that so oh yeah speaking of doing something for the first time the yes. uh 
topic for tonight's conversation. Mm. So Joe Shedd has done all these incredible things outside. But I think anyone who has accomplished anything in the outdoors would tip their hat. I mean, we could even go back to, you know, like the uh, Jeremiah Johnson days. And I'm pretty sure Jeremiah Johnson (laughs) himself, (laughs) the mountain man, would tip his hat to Joe Shedd on this one. Because Joe did a solo, yes, him all by himself, Alaskan moose hunt with no previous moose hunting experience. (laughs) It's incredible. uh, it ends pretty well. I won't give away all the all the uh, gory details, but it ends <laughs> it ends pretty well for him. And uh, he shared this story in a series of old journal entries from when he did this hunt, and it was it just really for those days that he was sharing the. It was basically one entry per day. I think is is that right, Joe? Yeah, I was doing, uh, um, yeah, each day of the hunt, I did one day at a time. But um, at the very end, when the posts started getting kind of long, I kind of split it up into a couple of posts just because it did get so long. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it was, it was. I mean, I just found myself like totally uh, drawn in by what he was, <laughs> what he had written there. And obviously the man writes for all these magazines and writes books. So he's he's an excellent storyteller and, and good at expressing his thoughts. And, and it is just an epic story, really. And so I saw that and I had already been planning to ask Joe to do it to do an interview and i was like man i'm getting kind of greedy with this one you know i don't know that this story has been told (laughs) by anybody else yet on anybody else's podcast i was like we got to get it this is like a great yeah first gen story here you know this guy just decides hey i want to do that i'm gonna go do it and so so uh joe we're bringing you on to talk about the moose hunt man (laughs) okay well cool well so Sit back. It's a it's a long one. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that's, that's, we're excited. We're, yeah. we're super excited. Yeah, Mo- okay. a moose hunt is definitely on my uh, bucket list. But uh, after reading your uh, journal entries, I I think I'm gonna at least have a buddy with me. So. <laughs> yeah, that's that's probably a good idea. A buddy or maybe uh, you know rescue helicopter or something like that would, would be a good thing. <laughs> Yeah, right. definitely, definitely. So let's uh, kind of just dive right into this. Um, did you, like, always have it on your bucket list, I guess, that, yeah, you know what, someday I'm going to go hunt moose? Or um, was it just kind of like how things shaped up and it's like, you know what, this would be a good chance to go hunt moose? I mean, how did how did that really come to be for you? Well, let me kind of tell you about the kind of person I am. Uh, when I was a kid, I was really into fishing, I mean, and still am very much. Mm-hmm. And I had mm-hmm. signs, I had little paper signs posted on my bedroom wall where every trophy fish you know, that I get mounted was going to go. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> so, you know, um, I, I've definitely got some, you know, hunts that I want to do in my life. I, I guess I had, I, it was kind of one of those things where I kind of assumed always that I would probably or something like that at some point but it just kind of all came together um so i got um laid off from my job and uh this is back in 2008 Mm -hmm. and a lot of i went to college at a college uh, in wisconsin stevens point that had a lot of uh uh, natural resources students so that people were majoring in fisheries or wildlife and 
Sure. And all my friends were getting all these really cool internships where they're going to Alaska for the summer for an internship, and I, I didn't get that. So <laughs> when I got laid off of my job, I, I just decided I'm going to Alaska, you know, and, and I didn't know if I was going to go for a couple of weeks and just tour around or try to go for the summer. And um, uh, a, a guy, uh, my friend Cody, that I worked with at that job, we were in the same boat, and we both decided to go up there and um, started knocking on doors, and we landed jobs as rafting guides on the Kenai River of all things. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Which was a pretty exciting uh, way to spend the summer. So it just, yeah. uh, so it was an incentive for us to stay there, and uh, it was an awful job. We had to go down the river every day and stand and fish every night, which was just excruciating. <laughs> I, I hated it yeah. so much, as you can imagine. Yeah, right, you know? right. <laughs> <laughs> but, no, it was it was a lot of fun. It was a, a, a great opportunity, you know. And uh, so, you know, as I got up, when, when we went up there, I, I did bring my rifle. I have, I, I have one rifle. I'm a, I'm a pretty minimal kind of guy. I have one rifle at the 270. You know, which is great for deer hunting around here. It's a little, you can shoot a moose with it, but it's not the the gun of choice probably for moose hunting. But sure. I did bring mm-hmm. that along, assuming that, you know, hey, if, we're, if we if we go hunting, I've got it. If we don't, you know, no harm done, you know. So I brought it along, and my initial thought once we got up there is I want to go caribou hunting. I kind of had this desire to go caribou hunting um, in the Kenai Peninsula down there. Um, there, were, there are some caribou around. We did see some. But uh, you had to uh, put in for a tag, um, and you know the drawing had been held months earlier, so you know, we missed mm-hmm, out on that. Mm-hmm. But you could buy, you could buy a moose tag over the counter. So that's what I decided to do. So all summer long, and and uh, you know back home people complain about how complicated our hunting regulations are, and I, I just want to tell them to just they would cry if they look at the Alaska hunting regulations. <laughs> they are they're right. they're very strict with their enforcement and they're complicated and uh you know i I, i've told people this is one tip i'll I'll give you all the all the stuff if you ever want to hunt alaska all the stuff you need to know is on the alaska department of fish and games website it's it's all there um and it's a great resource but it's for me it was a lot easier to have the paper regulations in hand and flip through it it was just a little bit more organized um, maybe I'm just kind of old school, but I, I really did like that. But all the stuff yeah. is there on, on the website. It's actually a very good resource for you. That's to use the Alaska Department of Fish and Game. Um, but anyway, so uh, in our zone, it was, uh, I don't remember if it was a Spike Fork 50 zone or if it was just a straight-up 50 zone. But what that means is uh, a legal bull moose is a spike if it has spike antlers or forked antlers, you know, a young yearling moose, essentially, you could take it. And I don't remember if it was, if it was spike or fork, but I think it was. I can't okay. remember now. But, uh, okay. or, or it had to have a 50-inch spread, or it could have three, if it had three brow tines on one side, it was legal. So you oh, know, a, lot okay. to run, a yeah. lot to run through your head when you're trying to look at a, a live target. Yeah. So all summer long. All summer long, every time I went into a sport a good store or a restaurant or whatever, every time I saw a moose rack, I'm like quizzing myself, trying to say, Yeah, that's a good idea. Not, you know, how big is yeah. that? You know? Mm-hmm. And, you know, to to be in the field, to be in an, an experienced moose hunter, you know, who, you know, I mean, I'd seen moose before, you know, here and there out in Yellowstone or whatever, but it's, and we saw some in Alaska day to day, but not a lot in you know, that's, that's a whole different animal. I mean, I grew up hunting whitetails in the Midwest, you know, as a, yep. a lot of people do. And it's a, it's a change. And, um, the, a couple of days before I went moose hunting, um, I went horseback riding with one of my friends here, the horseback guide. And 
I was sitting there looking at the horses thinking, this is basically the size of the animal I'm going to be hunting, you know, yeah, and right. where would I aim at something like this? And how do I get it out of the woods? <laughs> so, mm, yep. Yep. It was a major change, but, um, so to kind of cut to the chase, um, I ended up doing my hunt on the Kenai Peninsula. Um, mm-hmm. it was an area, um, the Dave Spencer unit of, uh, the Kenai, I can't remember what, it was a designated wilderness, wilderness area. Um, sure. There's an area down there called the Swanson River um, Canoe Area. It was kind of like the Boundary Waters in Minnesota, if you're familiar with that at all. Yeah. It was, you know, designated wilderness, no motors, no motors on your boat, no chainsaw, none of that. Mm-hmm. And you have lakes with portages in between, and, and you can go from lake to lake. And um, and that's kind of, you know, I heard about people hunting moose that way in Minnesota, and so that's kind of what I decided to do was go into this wilderness area, go from lake to lake, and, you know, moose are pretty aquatic-loving creatures and, and hopefully get lucky and stumble on a moose. So that was that was my plan, and I'm I'm not a good planner. <laughs> um, I have friends who are, you know, will take notes and, like, you know, highlight things in books and have aerial maps, and, and, and you know, it's it's not a bad thing at all. But, of course, I, I give them a hard time because they're, they're so anal and they have GPS points plotted out. Like we're, we're going to shed hunt and we're going to start at this point. And then if we cross the river here, this is the narrowest point and this will be the easiest crossing. And then, you know, this and that, which is great planning, but that's right. not the kind of guy I am. I'm a, <laughs> I'm a very seat of your pants kind of guy. Yeah. Um, so, so all I did ahead of time, I went on Google earth and put the cursor on each area where I thought there was a portage trail in the lakes. And I was using my GPS, you know, this is, this is a little over 10 years ago now, but my GPS at the time was, you know, there's no base map. It's just, you're a triangle on the GPS. There was no lake or points of land for interest. It was like the most basic GPS they made like in 2005. You know? <laughs> right. Right. So, so, uh, um, so anyway, I uh, I go to this area, and, I'll start the area uh, and the plan was to go from lake to lake. And at the end of it, there was a, a small creek that came out uh, that led to the Swanson River. And so what I did is I, I borrowed a bike from a friend and left it at the Swanson River. And then I parked my truck at the very end of the road at the first lake, which is called Paddle Lake. And so that way I had an option. I could I could paddle my canoe into this area and I could paddle back out if I wanted, or if I decided mm-hmm. to go down the river, um, I would have a way I could bike back to my truck. It would be a 12 sure. mile bike ride back to the truck. When this is, this is a lot of foresight for me. I'm, I'm usually not this, uh, <laughs> uh prepared. <laughs> most people, most people that'd be a given, but, uh, but you know i was i was off to a bad start um i bumped my scope the season before and and it wasn't until a couple days before the hunt that i realized that the scope was broken internally so i had to go buy a new scope i had to get that mounted i had to go buy a canoe because i couldn't find one on craigslist and and uh you know anything i'd made that summer basically was spent on the most hunt (laughs) but um and that's that and that's one thing I will say. You know, if you're going to go on a moose hunt, if you're going to go on a guided moose hunt, it's it's expensive. I mean, you're looking at thousands of dollars. It's it's right. above and beyond anything you know, any kind of deer hunt that you're going to do. Yeah. Um, you know, if your goal is to really get a moose and put one on the wall, I mean, it's a great way to go. And, you know, and to have somebody help you along and show you what to do. I mean, I was just winging it. I mean, yeah. I wasn't doing it the right way. I was just doing the best I could. You know. Yeah. And trial and error and trial by fire basically and, mm-hmm. um, 
but it was it was a cheap, easy way to do it. I think the tag back then was uh, $400. I think they've doubled now. Um, so I, I did the moose, and I was already in Alaska. I had freezers. I, I, I had driven up there, so I had a, I could drive home. So I did it about as cheap as you could possibly do it. And, right. yeah. and that's kind of my style. I, I, I'm the kind of guy that would, I'm stubborn, and I want to do it my way, and I would rather you know, fail on my own than, than just show up and, be the guy that pulls the trigger, you know, I, that's just kind of my style, not to take it away from anybody if that's what they want yeah. to do, but that's, that's how I roll. So. Right. Mm-hmm. No, I was, so, uh, I'm glad you brought that up. I was going to ask, I was going to ask you about that. I know that and I think I picked it up when I was reading the journal entries and, and even I did, I did, uh, watch your, uh, DVDs that you did on your Western shed hunts. I knew that you were a guy who was really cost effective with with your trips and i think that i think that that's really important for first gen hunters to hear because you know unless somebody is they they just have the money to go and buy the the best and greatest right off the bat you know most of us are kind of in the same boat where you know we didn't inherit any hunting gear from from somebody you know a generation before us because well we're, mm-hmm. the, we're the first to hunt and we you know might not even have friends that can really give us stuff to borrow and you've done a great job of maximizing what you have or finding good deals can you kind of i mean you've kind of mentioned a little bit with the craigslist but do you have any other and also with using your your deer rifle but do you have any other tips for you know maybe like like uh saving money on hotels or or food or anything like that when you do a bigger trip like this yeah i've got this really nice uh um hotel plan that i i use it's uh, called the taco suite of the hotel chevrolet i uh i sit in my truck quite a bit <laughs> no, that's 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 a good idea i i think i've slept in my truck every night or every uh Every month of the year, I've slept in my truck on frozen lakes. I slept in my truck in zero-degree weather. Um, <laughs> I slept uh, in my truck for a week straight deer hunting in northern Minnesota, <laughs> and uh, to the point, without a shower, to the point that I was so greasy at that point, I could pretty much slide right out of the truck without a shower. <laughs> 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 but, um, you know, it saves you a lot of money. Um, and I, I just like it. it. It's, it's, it's roughing it. It's getting back in the bush. I mean, I'd rather just go park the truck in the woods when I'm, when I'm hunting and, and yeah. just be there than, than stay in a hotel or it'd sure. be fun to stay in a lodge or you know, have some friends along too and, and you know, split it up. But, um, I do sleep in my truck a lot and, uh, it's, it's part of the adventure. It really adds to it. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah, that's cool. Definitely. Do you ever, um, do you ever use like campgrounds or anything? Do you ever like pitch a tent or, or is it pretty much always, I'm going to stay on the, I'll stay in the parking lot if I have to of the wildlife management area or do you do any, do any other yeah. camping? Yeah, I'll go in, in campgrounds. It, it just depends what the situation is. Uh, like in Minnesota, we have uh, some you know, national forests and you aren't allowed to camp wherever oh, you okay. want. Uh, well, I shouldn't, I shouldn't say that, but there's areas where you can pull over and just camp. Um, there's also designated campgrounds, and I do use those you know, when the situation occurs, or um, or if you're you know if camping is not allowed, free camping just wherever. Um, in Alaska, um, they have a lot of roadside pullouts, and if it doesn't specifically say no camping, you're you're allowed to camp. And a lot of people mm. will go up there, rent RVs, and um, 
you know, you, you spend uh, one night in a campground where you have, you know, the hookups and you can, you know, dump the, your wastewater and, and all that and, and get to your electric. And then you might camp a couple of days just for free at, at a roadside pull-off because that's, oh, that's nice. totally legal. Nice. That's, yeah. That's all great. It's cool. Cool yeah. information. Yeah. That can be honestly one of the most expensive parts of the trip. I mean, you know, uh, any more, uh, you know, a, a decent hotel that, you know, no, not, we're not talking like something super expensive here. It's going to mm-hmm. run you about a hundred bucks a night, you know? So, yeah, I mean, that, that starts to add up two, two nights away and you're already 200 bucks in just to, just to sleep, you know, mm-hmm. the, the back of that, <laughs> the, the, the roofless, uh, bed of the, uh, Chevrolet hotel Chevrolet <laughs> starts to sound, uh, <laughs> sound a lot better after, you know, night number three yeah. or four where <laughs> you're already covered your, your costs and tags just in hotel expenses. So that's, yeah. Uh, yeah. And I'll give you, I'll give you a tip with that too. I, I have a topper on my truck and, uh, what I do, um, what I've learned is, as far as comfort and sleeping, it's all about the ground layer. Especially, if, you know, if you're camping like in November when you're, you know, deer hunting or something, and it's cold, it's all about the ground layer. So I have a twin size mattress that I bring along and, and slip between the uh, the wheel wells of my truck. And yeah. I've got that. I've got my zero degree sleeping bag, and I I put a, a quilt over me. And honestly, I'm as warm in that as I am in my old bed at home. It's just the game. Nice. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's Man, that's great. amazing. Yeah. yeah. That's... You just got to be careful uh, when you're successful not to get any blood on your mattress when you got the deer in the back. <laughs> you're right, right, right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Uh, yeah. now, now, what are what are your thoughts about, like, you know, do you do – you, use like the no, you know, no water shampoo, like scentless shampoo, you know, type stuff, or, you know, when you're out for days on end or, or what do you do on that side of things? Well, I don't bow hunt. So it's, um, I'm not, you know, being close to an animal isn't is paramount for me. Um, right. I usually don't, I usually don't shower much at all because it, it yeah. is so cold that time of year. So yeah. I get a little, right. I get a little ripe. I, I know that. <laughs> but, yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I you know, being in the woods where, where you can shoot 50 or 100 yards, I really haven't had a problem. Um, yeah. I probably scare, scare more people away at, uh, when I go to a restaurant or something than I do uh, than deer, but who knows? Right, right. <laughs> that's good. That's, that's, a, that's, a, that's a good question, though. You know, people probably wonder that. It's, it's, um, it's, it's a real part of it, so... Well, let's uh, let's kind of bring this back here to your specifically your moose on here. So, <clears throat> you borrowed a bike. You you're already uh, four hundred bucks uh, behind on your deer tag, which honestly, or your moose tag, which honestly, that's that's a great price for a moose tag, even with it, like you said, yeah. being doubled to eight hundred. Now, that's still that's still a very reasonable price, I think, to uh, to go and uh, take you know mm-hmm. one of the biggest game species on really in the world, uh, but definitely yeah. on our continent. And you're, I, I'm guessing, at least 100 bucks in on your new scope for your rifle. So what at this point, you're probably thinking, I got to prioritize how I'm spending money here because I still got to make it back home to, uh, to, to Wisconsin, <laughs> right? <laughs> and and uh, yeah. I guess what... What did you move forward with then on your financial decision? Did you borrow more stuff? Like, did you borrow a tent, or did you have to buy a tent? Did you have to, did you have to buy your canoe? I, I, I picked up my tent for five ninety nine at Goodwill. Several, <laughs> oh, nice. 
That's I've, awesome. I've had that thing for about 15 years. It's been uh, it's been moose hunting in Alaska. It's been north of the Arctic Circle caribou hunting. Wow. It's, uh, it, it survived pretty much everything. <laughs> wow. That's that cool. amazing. Man, caribou hunting. That's But wow. I did... Yeah, caribou hunting was amazing. But I did... Uh, you know, I did buy a really nice scope. I, I didn't want to cheap out on something sure. like that because you you have to kind of make your call. I mean, what's what can you cheap out on, and what do you really want to to be high yeah, quality? You know? Right. And that that scope. I mean, if you're out there and it fogs up on you, you know, mm. it you're gonna be kicking yourself. So yeah, um, you know, I'll save the money. I, I don't need to sleep in a in a fancy bed at a hotel. But when I look through the scope, when I, that bucket of lifetime in front of me, I, I want to be able to make sure that if I don't get it, it's it's my fault and not the scope. <laughs> right. Yeah, right, yeah. right. Yeah. Yeah, I've I've been there. I've the first buck I was able to successfully kill I was dealing with that big time and it, and you're right. I mean, you you just can't even find it. You know, it's you constantly wiping it down and thankfully it worked out for me, but yeah, when you're that's a good tip. You don't want to you don't want to let your put your put your financial decisions to a point where it's going to ruin the whole thing for you. So that, mm-hmm. that's, that's mm-hmm. wise advice for sure. Okay. So th- what about the canoe? Did you, um, were you able to, uh, get one f- to borrow or find one for cheap? How did you, uh, manage, manage that side of things? Well, I've, I've been looking for a canoe in, in the, I think, I, like I told you, uh, the kicker is I have like two or three canoes at home, but I didn't oh, think to bring man. one off the last, but, uh, so I've been looking on Craigslist in Alaska for probably a month, and uh, what you don't realize about Alaska until you've been there is how big that place is. Uh, you look on Alaska yeah. Craigs- or Anchorage Craigslist, and uh, the posting might be like three or four hours away from where you're at. <laughs> yeah, right, and, uh, right. That's crazy. Um, I, I was trying to find freezers to, to take a potential moose home in the back of my truck as, as well as find a canoe, and I was kind of striking out, and it, it got down to the 11th hour, and... Um, my my mother and brother had come up to visit me um, for a, a week, and uh, right before the moose hunt, they actually were still there when I took off for the moose hunt. And mm. uh, so I had driven to Anchorage, which was 100 miles away, to get some last minute shopping. And um, I was I was in Walmart. I didn't want to buy my license in Walmart. I wanted to buy it at like a, a sporting goods store. That so because I had been reading the regulations all all summer long, and I still wasn't 100 percent clear on everything how it yeah. all worked and I wanted, wanted it to be done right and get, you know, buy what I really needed as far as licensing went and, uh, and got the I's and crossed the T's. And, um, I was at Walmart, uh, shopping and I had all the stuff in the cart, game bags. I, I bought a new come along to help with the moose, uh, yeah. ropes. I mean, all these supply, you know, food and stuff like that, all this camping equipment. And yep. I looked at the clock and uh, I didn't have a canoe yet. And I looked at the clock and spoke from the warehouse was closing in like an hour so I, I literally left everything I had in the cart at Walmart, just parked it in the sporting goods aisle, ran to Spurgeon's warehouse, bought the license, pointed at the display bottle canoe up on the ceiling and said, that one now. And <laughs> oh, man. Brought it down. So they brought it down and I walked out the store, went back to Walmart, and I purchased my license and all the stuff. That my cart was still sitting there full of all my stuff. And um, wow. I walked out of the store probably um, – Heavily laden, but my wallet was a lot lighter. <laughs> oh, <laughs> right. man, yeah. Uh, yeah, it gets painful when you when you see that receipt and you're like, oh. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. So did you, so did 
you did you rent a vehicle up there or did you did you drive up? No, we, uh, my friend Cody and I we drove up together. So it was about oh, oh, cool. drive just to get to to Anchors. So what, I had my truck up there. I had the copper suite up there. So that was good. <laughs> <laughs> Which, and that really made it a lot more affordable and easier to do. I mean, you, you could fly up there to do a hunt, but then you've got to yeah. fly everything home. Right. Meat and stuff like that. Vehicle so driving, rental. Driving it back. Yeah. Yeah, and, you know, we had a, a giant, you know, you know six-foot-by-four-foot chest freezer in the back of the truck. We hooked it up to a power inverter so we could, you know, keep it operating for, for the nice. four-day drive home. So, yeah, so we get our salmon back and, and all that, too. So. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's true. You probably had a bunch of fish you wanted to bring back. Yeah. Was it tough? So you had to drive through Canada, at least for a good portion of that drive. Was it tough bringing all that game across the border or was it different because um, technically it came from an American state? Yeah, it, we really didn't have any problems at all. Um, and I think it just depends on the border patrol agent on, on duty and what kind of mood they're in. And, um, yeah. you know, I, we drive through, I believe there's x-ray machines that x-ray your load. And I'm, I'm pretty sure they before I even said anything, they, they knew that I had a moose with me. Um, and would, you could see the rack back there, but, uh, I really didn't have any problems, um, going through Canada and, or, you know, getting back to the United States. You know, we just, um, uh, one thing I did do was stop the fish and wildlife, um, service office, uh, in the, the giant town of Toke, Alaska, which is like the last town before the border. And uh, you do have to get a permit that says, you know, this is what I have, and I'm just carrying it through Canada, you know. Um, but it's, I don't think there was any cost to it, or if it was, it was minimal, I don't remember. But mm-hmm. just saying you're transporting, you're, you're just declaring that this is what I have, you know, I'm not trying to hide anything. Sure. Yeah, right. Sure. That, that's a good That's a good thing to know. And, of course, you know, it's been, as Joe said, this has been, you know, 10 years ago, so... I would definitely advise anyone who's looking into hunting Alaska to uh, look into it some more. Maybe you can talk to our uh, our buddy Alex Gruen from East to West Hunts, who uh, uh, does, yeah, right. sets people up for these trips. But that's a that's a nice thing. I know I went fishing in Ontario a couple of summers ago, and um, it was since it sounds like it was a little bit different deal, just because I was technically taking fish from another country into united states and right i think it probably helped in your case that you were taking u.s fish into another u.s state you just had to go through canada to do so that that might have made that a little bit better because we had pretty strict like you could only have i think it was like two fish per fishing license in the car or something like that it was it, it was uh it was a pretty tight limit i remember but yeah that's yeah. that's uh that's good info there yeah, one other thing I should add too is that uh, uh, a firearms permit. I don't, you know, I don't know all the rules. You know, have have your listeners check of themselves. But I don't think you're allowed to bring you know pistols through Canada. And if you're carrying a long gun, um, you have to get a permit. You know, it's like twenty five bucks. You know, to transport it through Canada, okay. and it's good for I think sixty days maybe. And you. So when you get to the border, you can buy it. You're, you can download it online uh, ahead of time, or you can get it at the border. Okay. And uh, it's a permit. It's like twenty-five bucks to carry these firearms through Canada. Wow, that is a good tip. You know what? Yeah. Now, now that you say that, um, when we went up to Ontario, we weren't even allowed to carry knives 
of a certain, like, it wasn't much, like over two inches, like a blade over two or three, maybe three and a half inches or something like that. You weren't, you weren't allowed to have that, I assume, without, you know, the documentation that you're talking about. So, yeah, that is a, that is a, that's a really big tip because you don't want yeah. you don't want to get like a uh, you know like some kind of like terrorism charge on you for smuggling weapons they, across they the don't like surprises at the border <laughs> right yeah right right <laughs> yeah that's especially <laughs> especially <laughs> when those surprises are weapons <laughs> it just yeah right. you just really. might have a hard time explaining that one at your next job interview <laughs> <laughs> it was just a fillet knife <laughs> oh man yeah so yeah great great tip there well, and I was going to say, was it was it your goal to to go up there and and you know get a bull, or was it like, hey, you know, it, female, you know, moose, you know, I'm taking that. What was your what were your thoughts on that? Well, it was it was bulls only in that zone. And, oh, okay. Uh, yeah, so it was going to be a bull, and uh, as I understand it, um, and I, you know, I'm, I don't want to quote regulations, but I believe the year I did that the last year that non-residents were allowed to moose hunt in that zone, and I could be wrong about that, but I believe wow, that's Wow, okay. Um, wow. Because the population had been kind of declining, um, and uh, and actually this area, um, last year there was these giant forest fires up in Alaska, so this whole area burned last year, so everything's completely different. Oh, man. <laughs> so wow. I'd kind of like to get up there and just see what it looks like now. Yeah, All right. right. Yeah, that's... I guess that kind of made the decision easy then, you know, because when I was writing up the script for this uh, interview, I was thinking through that for myself. I was thinking, you know, if I was in Joe's shoes and, you know, way out of state for me, you know, being from Iowa, that is just like to kill a a bull moose, you know, with a, a legal rack, you know, which there, that's a, that's a, that's a big mature animal. Mm -hmm. Um, that's like the pinnacle of, of, you know, as far as having some kind of like tangible trophy to go along with, of course, the most important part, all the meat, um, just having that, that rack that lasts forever, you know, that your grandkids will be able to point at and ask you about, Yeah, you know, that's, that's so important. But at the same time, it's like, man, I'm all the way up here from Iowa in Alaska or in your case, Wisconsin in Alaska. And here's this cow moose. You know, if your tag was, was valid for either sex, I think it'd be pretty hard to, to pass on the cow. I mean, do you think, do you think you would have, if, if you would have had an either sex tag and you would have had a cow walk out, like say day three, that you would have had a hard time passing on that Joe? Uh, you know, I don't think I would have, you know, because, you know, I'm, I'm an antler guy, you know, I, I love to shed hunt it. And sure, to yeah. see that, you know, that rack is, you know, I really wanted a moose mouse. I really wanted a moose head for my wall. So that was, I don't think it would have been hard for me to pass on a cow. Sure. Mm, nice. nice. Yeah. And I think that's great. You know, sometimes people put that, like, you know, it's almost a dirty word in hunting trophy hunter, you know, and right, and right. We, obviously you were super concerned about the meat. And as we hear, you know, towards the end of the interview, the, the story of you fighting tooth and nail to get that meat back out of, uh, out of yeah. the bush, you know, obviously it meant the world to you. So we'll, we'll get there though. We'll get there. Um, you know, one, one last thing I want to ask about here before we start about the, this, 
or talk about the start of your hunt is kind of the the uh, emotional and like mental side of this a solo hunt i mean i even get this feeling a little bit if i'm hunting a new area all by myself it, it feels lonely and you just know that everything's going to be harder because you're by yourself yeah did you did you have some of like maybe like a tinge of anxiety or or even intimidation that you were feeling going into this hunt just because of the fact that hey i'm i'm uh going into this huge landscape that i am pretty well unfamiliar with all by myself and i'm targeting this ginormous animal all by myself did you have that a little bit i don't think i did um i was back when i was i think i was 31 and i was still invincible in that in that era um, <laughs> if I did that again, I, I know I would I'd kind of balk at that a little bit. For sure. I've, I've definitely gotten more cautious in the last 10 years or so. Sure. Um, but back then I was just, you know, kind of like almost, I was just too naive really to really, I didn't yeah. care. I wasn't worried about it. Um, nowadays I would, I've, I've gotten a little smarter in my old age, I guess. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> going into it, I was pretty naive by the end of the trip. Things had, had definitely changed for me. Sure. Now, I mean, what was what was technology like at that time in terms of like, you know, were you using, you know, were you using, you know, an app for for any sort of, you know, mapping, you know, signal up there, you know, or were you just like straight, you know, compass, you know, map, you know, standard map and compass, and you know, what was what was the setup on that side of things? I had a flip phone that if I wanted to text the letter C, I had to push the, the number two key three times. So it was pretty. <laughs> Pretty primitive technology. <laughs> um, yeah, so there was no apps. Um, I had I had this most basic hundred dollar GPS unit that was made in like two thousand five. You know, I had no base yeah. map, no nothing like that. Um, yeah. So there wasn't a point of reference. I couldn't say this is where I am on this lake. It was just a triangle on a blank screen. That's that was the technology of that. Um, and I had gone on Google Earth and I had um, located where I thought all the portages were going to be. And I did mm-hmm. um, mark punch that into my GPS where I thought the portages should be. So I had something to go on there. And back then what I used to do is I used to go on the computer and uh, pull up Google Earth and I would take a piece of paper and literally trace things on, onto pieces of paper. That was my map. Um, wow. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, so, no, I didn't have any hunting apps or anything. I had a flip phone and... You know, there's there's no cell reception there anyway, and so I I turned on my phone sparingly just to know what time it was, and sure. that was about it. And by by the end of the trip, that was dead too. So I I had a I had backup batteries for the the GPS, and but really it was looking back at it, I realized kind of how dumb I was and how unprepared <laughs> I really was. But I was so gung ho and naive then. It was it was a little different. Uh, if I was doing that same hunt again today, I. I Plan better. The technology is better now too. Right. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Definitely. Man. I mean, talk talk about an adventure, though. I mean, man, it's just in every sense. Yeah. You know, one thing nowadays is with your phone. I mean, you can get these apps, or you can download maps ahead of time if you're not going to have cell reception. Right. Right. And uh, so that's super important to have in these wilderness situations. Um, And you know, basic map and compass because you drop your phone in the water and it's dead. But then what? You know, then you're yeah, in trouble. Yep. You have to realize that, you know, things can happen. You can't really use technology as a crutch. 
Right. Um, but the other thing I like to do is, you know, I'll have my phone and I'll have, you know, Ziploc bags if I need them. And I, I bring these, uh, I, I'm not sure what they're called, but you can basically recharge your phone off of it. It's, uh, oh, yeah. Um, I'm not, I'm not sure like a battery, called, you battery supplement, it. yeah. Exactly, yep, yep. Yeah. So, yeah. That's, that's always nice to have along. And I'm super careful about, you know, keeping those in Ziploc bags and not letting them get wet. And, and yeah. I usually try to have, you know, I'll have my phone, I'll have my compass, I'll have uh, a GPS, you know, multiple, you know, pieces of technology to rely on in, in case something would happen. Yeah, right. Yeah, I have a friend who uh, does a lot of backpacking and, and um, you know, goes deep into the bush in different places. And he has, like, some kind of GPS or or GPS satellite phone combo or something where... You know, if things got really bad, he could send out an SOS on that. And um, I don't, I'm not sure how good that technology was around then. I think it was probably around. I know I know satellite phones have been around for, for a while, but not a bad idea to bring something along like that on, on a trip like that for sure. But well, it sounds like at least you had Absolutely. your cell phone if, you know, maybe you get lucky enough to get it to hit service or something you know if you found a high point or something but yeah definitely great tips there on you know don't don't let the automated crutch crutch us into a uh, dangerous situation you know where if we yeah. feel we feel like we're invincible because we got our app you know, like joe said what if yeah. your phone goes in the water now what you know you gotta have right. that yeah. you gotta have that basic woodsmanship skill and gear um, along with you to kind of bail you out if things if things uh, don't go as planned. So yeah, yeah, good good safety tips there. Now, real yeah. the, the, la- the last thing here with safety. Did you have any concerns about like bears or um, you know? I guess you had your GPS, so you probably weren't too concerned about getting lost. But what about like bears or hypothermia? Even I imagine the nights by late summer when you were doing this hunt were probably getting pretty cool at night right yeah uh, we had pretty good weather or i guess i had pretty good weather it was uh, so the hunt took place it opened august 20th so it's it's in august but it is cooling down at that point i think highs were maybe upper 50s maybe lower 60s at the time which was pretty nice but it yeah. certainly turned sour we did have a lot of rain um later in the hunt especially um so, but, and yeah, bears are, are definitely a concern anytime in Alaska, pretty much anywhere. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's, you know, you want to take precautions, hang your food. And, you know, I, I like to keep it away from the tent. You know, I don't want them, <laughs> if they're going to get it, I don't want them to have it. You know, I don't want it in my tent or near my tent. I'd rather right. have it away the way. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Right. Did you have any, any trouble with where you felt that bears were kind of getting on to you after you had the meat? I didn't see a single bear until I was driving home. And I had one run across the road in front of me, which oh, was just fine with me. <laughs> yeah, that's great. That's that's but, really good. Yeah, I, I did have a, a can of bear spray, a bear repellent spray with me, which you know is kind of a last resort. But sure. Um, yeah, I, I did. I you know being in Alaska that summer, you know we would see bears just about every day on the river, so I didn't really have a. I mean, I've got a respect for them, you know. Sure. But, yeah. You know, um, I'm not freaked out by bears, but I definitely have a healthy respect for them, especially when we're mm-hmm. talking brown bears. And um, yeah, I mean, 
you've always got to be careful in Alaska with bears, but we'll just put it that way. Yeah, yeah right. Yeah, right. definitely, man. Yeah, just seeing what those things are capable of is is enough to get my attention. So, well, let's go ahead and dive in it now. Um, your hunt is it started. You showed up. You're off. Uh, to, did it start off right away with just dropping your canoe in the water? Or did you have a little portage to start out? Hey, First Geners, you're extra lucky, not just because you get to hear this crazy good story. I mean, this is like this is like an odyssey here. Yeah. yeah. Such a cool story here from uh, Joe Shedd on his uh, solo DIY Alaskan moose hunt. But we like to have a tip of the day for you in every episode, and what makes you so lucky is that Brandon is bringing that tip of the day for us today. So, Brandon, go ahead and educate us sir yeah so in tip of the day today is you know on the food plot side of things not everyone in fact most hunters aren't you know maybe blessed with a piece of land that would allow you to you know do a one two three four acre food plot but all of us can do what we like to call kill plots um, and these kill plots can be done you know within an existing food plot source you know maybe you, maybe you don't have the time to really work up an entire food plot but you can do a small area um, or it can even be done with the the technology on the market it could even be done in a mostly shady area um, within a wood setting so you know really easy to do you know if you're in a food plot or a grassy setting um, what you can do you know you once again using minimal equipment things like that you can uh, if there's some weeds some grass whatever uh, essentially weed eat it down to basically the dirt level you want to just stir up the dirt um, and you know basically what you could try to shoot for would be you know somewhere around a four to five hundred square foot you know little spot you know that you're gonna work up you know just yourself using a rake you know you can work up the soil there's some really great stuff on the market like throw and grow uh, and different products like that that's very inexpensive usually a good mix of clovers alfalfa you know some some winter uh, sometimes rye wheat things like that um, just a good mix that you can that you can put out and that stuff you know with just a little bit of soil contact contact you're gonna get a real great plot to come up um, and, and same thing goes for maybe you've got a, a secluded you know stand you know back in the woods and and you know you want to have a little spot that's gonna essentially just you know work some deer into your spot same same exact type of deal um, on another side of things too you can also if you let's say you have a cornfield that's planted you can actually carve out a small area and do a kill plot within a cornfield let's say you've got an island in the middle of the field of, of some you know just a, a, some trees hang a stand there kill plot you know right on the border of that cornfield there where deer will funnel through in the protected corn feed in that kill plot give you a perfect chance to take a shot so just a couple different scenarios and how you can make that happen um minimal money you know really minimal labor ultimately you know and and can result in some really great results especially for those of us who maybe don't have the ability have the opportunity to, to have a big food plot or maybe you just don't have the time you know it does take a lot of time and it takes resources and money um some of these you know easier kill plots end up resulting in a lot of success and you're still 
you know, giving that, that forage, you know, that these deer need, you know, come this time of year. So cool tip for you guys out there, you know, that can be used in a lot of different scenarios and wish you guys all the best as you get out there and hopefully see some big boys and get opportunity to take them down. Excellent tip. And yeah, hopefully everyone uh, who listens in will get that opportunity, like you mentioned, where you can kind of control your own destiny a little bit mm-hmm. by managing your yep. your own farm and, and or at least, you know, your own lease and uh, yes. really get to take full advantage and manipulate the landscape a little bit. So yeah, thank you for sharing, Brandon. Now let's get You're back welcome. to uh, part two of this incredible story here with Joe Shedd. So I, I got to the area. Um, this is the Swanson River canoe area. I got there the night before season. There's a logbook um, to sign in, and I I checked the logbook, and nobody had been in there that day. Um, people had signed in a couple of days earlier. Um, so the night before season, I slept in the back of my truck right at the, the boat launch, and um, the next morning I was up early and took off and just started paddling just into the unknown, just very naive. And, uh, I guess I didn't have a great plan. I, I did run across, uh, a book that, uh, had kind of talked about that area. Um, another thing I should throw out as a tip too, is, uh, you know, there's some great hunting forums out there on the internet, um, where you can find a lot of information, ask questions of people. I don't remember. There was a, a couple of different forums up in Alaska that I was looking at, um, particularly when I hunted caribou, but, uh, you know, just resources, kind of pick people's brains, ask questions. Yeah. Um, you know, that's just a great resource to have these days that, you know, didn't exist, mm. you know, before the internet, really. Sure. So, but, uh, yeah, um, just began paddling, and um, it was it was beautiful. Uh, you know, on the wilderness, you know, Alaska is wild as it is, but here there's, there's the designated wilderness area. Um, there's very few people, I think I saw, like, two people in a canoe the first day and four people the next. And that was all I saw for people. Wow. And, uh, just began paddling and going along, uh, the shorelines and, and just hoping to kind of see a moose coming out to, to feed or drink, um, mostly in the afternoons. And, uh, it started out okay. And, but, uh, you know, there'd be these portages and, uh, so I was carrying two packs, you know, and a canoe and my gun. So I would do, um, each portage I'd, I'd take, uh, uh, I triple portage. So I'd take one pack and my rifle on the first trip and I'd walk back empty. I'd grab the other pack and bring that across and walk back empty and then i get the canoe. Um, so I did, you know, I ended up walking each portage trail five times, you know, in effect. Um, wow. And, uh, so it was a lot of, a lot of portaging and, you know, portaging it's not the most fun activity in the world. And no, <laughs> things are heavy. And... <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah. uh, um, so, you know, I, I didn't really know what to expect. I, I wasn't seeing moose. I was, I was fishing my way along. I caught some rainbow trout in the, these lakes and, um, I'd set up camp early every afternoon so that in the evenings when the moose were supposed to hopefully come out, I, I could go and look for them. Um, it was early in the season, so they weren't 
rutting. So, you know, calling wasn't really going to be the ticket, I don't mm. think, mm-hmm. at that point. But uh, so I was really just banking on haphazardly stumbling into a moose, which yeah. isn't the greatest plan, but it was <laughs> the best plan I had. And, um, you know, I had I had about a month that I could have hunted. Um, I was, I was planning to go for a week on this trip and after that I could regroup and, um, you know, if I didn't get one, I, I had some time I could, you know, make a new plan, you know, maybe do something, you know, you know, off the road system, you know, not out in the wilderness, Mm -hmm. Um, but I was just going with it and seeing what happened. Um, so after the first couple of days, I hadn't seen a moose and, uh, I was starting to kind of get a little sour, um, but it was beautiful weather. I was having a good time and I kind of just picked myself up. And that's, that's the other thing when you're doing that, it, it, this trip in particular became so mental for me. And, mm. uh, you know, that's, that's the thing after the, after the first day I hadn't seen a moose and I didn't like the foraging, but you know, I kind of came around and I, I told myself, you know, this is just have fun, just enjoy it. You know, enjoy yeah. the experience and it picked my spirits up a little bit. Nice. Um, and I don't, I don't remember what day it was, but there was a, there was a loop, you know, there'd be, um, loop, uh, lakes that you would canoe across and then portage to the next lake. And then I kind of had made this lake. It was called Jean Lake. That was going to be my destination. And, uh, there was a, a loop that you could do. You could go to Jean Lake via the East route across a couple of lakes, or you could go the West route. Either way, it was the same number of lakes. And I just flipped a coin and decided to go with the East route. And, uh, I got, um, to the last portage and I, all the portages have been marked at this point there'd be signs there and um, mm-hmm. saying, you know, this is the portage and how to get to the next lake. And, um, I couldn't find the portage and I was sure looking at Google earth, I was sure I'd found it and I could not find it. And I walked around you know, for an hour. I, f- I finally found a place in the woods that had been blazed for like a hundred yards. It clearly was part of the trail and it just ended. And so I was disgruntled. I turned around and I decided to go back and do the little loop from the, the other direction, from the west route. And so I you know, wasted a day doing that. And uh, that's when things kind of started going downhill. <laughs> <laughs> mm. <laughs> so, so what started to happen then? Like you, when you say things started to go downhill, did 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 you really start wondering, you know, like, man, what am I doing? This is, you know, I don't belong here. This is never going to work. I shouldn't have done this. Was it that kind of thing? Or were you like no longer even having fun? Well, there was definitely the the former part there. It was kind of like, what am I doing? Um, what, what, what really triggered it was I, um, and I'll, and I'll get back to your question, but what really triggered it was the one morning, I, I don't remember what day this was, you know, three or four days of the trip. Um, I, uh, I was in need of a bath. Let's put it that way. And, uh, <laughs> so I went down to the water. I, uh, I went down to the water and took a little swim, came back, broke camp, ate breakfast. And I come back and my canoe was laying down at the water where I just bathed. And, uh, I get back to the canoe, you know, I'd been there an hour earlier taking the bath and I get back to the canoe and my paddle is broken in two pieces. Oh, and it's, it's splintered and it, there's holes in it. And what it had to be, it had to be a bear had like been playing with it and bitten it in half. I don't know what else it could have been. Yeah. Um, so, and, uh, I didn't bring a spare. Um, I duct taped it back together and with the splinters, with the two long splinters, it actually 
taped together pretty well. You don't want to take a hard stroke on it, but yeah. it was still pretty effective. So at that point, it was kind of reckoning time. I'm like, I've gone like three, four days without a moose. Is this really a solid plan? I'm just banking on seeing one just standing around, you know, along the yeah. lake shore. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, and that's when my stubbornness kind of kicked in. I'm like, you know what? I, I decided I want to go to Jean Lake. I'm going to go to Jean Lake and I don't care. I don't care if I don't see a moose. I've got a month to do this. You know, I can make this just a trip. I, if I get a moose, great. If not, you know, I've got three more weeks after this to come up with a plan B, you know, so just, yeah. just go with it. Just, you know, you're on the, you know, you're a Midwestern boy up in Alaska in the wilderness. I mean, this is, this is kind of every kid's dream, you know? Right. Yeah. Um, go with it, you know? And, wow. uh, so, so I kept going. So that, that's kind of what was going through my head. And it, it was a mental game, a lot of it. And, uh, so I, I kept on going and, uh, it was finally, it was, uh, um, I think, I don't know, fourth, fourth or fifth day, uh, of the trip. And it's like, you know, I really just want to see a moose. And, yeah. uh, um, so I was kind of down in the dumps a little bit. My paddle was broken. I wasn't sure if I should keep going. It, it kept raining a lot. So I was, I have a little camp stove that burns white gas and I was cooking with that. And, you know, the fuel started to kind of run down, you know, I yeah. needed to build fires, but, but it kept raining. So the wood was wet and it's yeah. like, well, you need to, you know, and, and, uh, I brought a water filtration device along and that got clogged. And so then it was like, well, I have to boil my water now and I don't have a lot of fuel. And so things were just kind of starting to stack up a little bit. That was kind of wearing on me a little bit. Right. Uh, things were just kind of going wrong. I mean, nothing disastrous, but um, just things were getting to me a little bit. And I hadn't seen a moose yet. I'm starting to question what I'm doing here. But uh, stubbornness kicks in. I keep on going. And finally, um, finally, I was um, paddling along this lake. I think it was called Camper's Lake. And I get to the end of the lake and I see a moose. And you know, my heart is racing. It's because now it's like, is it a cow or is it a bull? No and, doubt. Uh, I, yeah. And, uh, I'm looking at this, this moose and just staring at it, just trying to grow out mm. his head and his cow, but it kind of at least broke the ice for me. It's like, okay, this isn't completely futile. You know, you're, you actually saw a moose, you know? So yes. Right. So, <laughs> so I, I scouted ahead to the next lake, which is Swanson Lake. But, uh, and I'd read some literature that said that Swanson Lake had good, uh, moose habitat, but I, I liked what I'd seen on the, the first lake, Camper's Lake better. So I decided to go back there, set up camp that night. I, uh, I was out fishing and, uh, I come around the bend and I see a moose standing in the water and my heart is like in my throat. I can't even breathe. <laughs> and, yeah. You know, I've got my, I've got, you know, I'm out there fishing with a, with a rifle in my canoe, you know, <laughs> and, uh, I come around the corner just creeping up around this corner to see what this is and my heart is in my throat and i got the binoculars up and and uh, it's a cow and a calf and it's like this huge exhale i mean you could i think the trees had gotten sucked in with my breath and i <laughs> went back you know as i exhaled I mean, it was that you know heart pounding you know but yeah, right. then i just sat and watched them and uh i think i still i brought up my video camera along fellas i filmed over there too and uh so I just sat and watched these moose. It's like, well, okay, you know, there's a moose out here. Um, so the next day I was going to Gene Lake and Gene Lake had the longest portage yet. It was a one mile portage to get to that lake. So oh, I actually man. had to do five miles oh, to get there, you know, you know, three trips and two empty trips back. And I get out there and it was kind of like, you know, 
this is this is worth doing. You know, I made it here. This was a goal. This was it was I got out to this lake. You know what? So what if I don't get a moose? I mean, this is a, this is a cool trip either way. You know, Let's right? Enjoy it. And it was the sun was out. It was this beautiful golden light that night. I remember, and I remember filming myself with a tripod, paddling around and taking some pictures and just enjoying. It was kind of a success. I'm like, I, I made it to this lake, you know, and this is this is kind of cool. There's nobody out here. I haven't seen a person in a few days now, and I was just yeah. enjoying it. And uh, so I'm going around that lake, kind of in, in better spirits that night. And uh, I'm going around fishing, you know, in the evening and, you know, hopefully trying to see a moose. And I keep kicking my tackle box around and I'm banging my paddle and I just knock it off. I'm like, there's no way I'm going to see a moose tonight. Yeah. And uh, I come around the corner, paddling around the corner. And I look and I see this moose on the shoreline. And I, I see it and I'm thinking, oh, it's two moose. There's one behind the other. And uh, suddenly I realized it's not a moose behind a moose. It's it's a moose with antlers on its head. Oh, you know, man. My heart, <laughs> my heart just stopped. And uh, so I uh, I quickly paddled towards shore because uh, I, I knew there was no way I could shoot <laughs> from a canoe. <laughs> it's way too wobbly. And uh, I got to shore, and I, I was looking for a rest. And it was just brushed for the most part. So I, mm. I leaned my, my rifle against this... <laughs> All I had was like a sapling and yeah. uh, I'm leaning against it. And, uh, I don't, I don't know. Have you ever heard of this thing called buck fever? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh yes. I have never, I've never shaken like that in my life. I mean, mm. with a deer, it's one thing you get, you get rattled and you get excited. This is, this is on an industrial size level. I was, <laughs> I, was, I was out of control. <laughs> I, so I'm trying to look through my scope at this moose, and I can barely even keep the scope on the animal. I'm, I'm just that jacked up, you know? Yep. And uh, I'm looking at him, and uh, I was pretty sure he wasn't 50 inches wide, but uh, it, you were allowed to shoot him if, if he had three brow tines on one side. And with a, with a, I'm sorry, with a moose, they usually have what's called the, the brow column, and then there's a separation, I call it a bay, and then there's the, the main part of the paddle. Okay. And uh, if he's got three brows on, on, on just one antler, either antler, then he's legal. And, okay. Uh, I'm looking at him, and this is late August, so um, this guy is still in velvet. And I'm telling myself, you know, just be careful. There could be shards of velvet hanging down that aren't points. You know, make sure you're seeing what you think you're seeing. Right. And uh, I'm, counting the, I'm counting the brow times on this guy, and I'm looking at him, and I counted him. I'm like, he's got three brows on that side. And I counted, I think I counted like three or four times because I just couldn't believe it and I wanted to be sure. Yeah. Um, and uh, and he's looking at me. He must have heard me. Um, yeah. So he's looking He's looking at me, which is the reason I was able to see his, his brow times in the first place. If, if mm-hmm. he had his head down and still feeding or something, it would have been really tough. But, right. right. You know, so now, now not only am I looking at a bull, but I'm looking at a legal bull. And I'm just... I'm out of control. Yeah. <laughs> I've, been yeah. I've been deer hunting. Uh, I don't remember. Maybe, you know, I don't know. I was 31 at the time. I've been deer hunting since I was 12. So I've, I've shot at a lot of deer. This, yeah. Uh, this was just something else. I, I couldn't control it. And I was shaking so bad. And uh, I, I take my safety off to make the shot. And I realized I couldn't even keep the crosshairs on the moose's body. And I put it back on. I'm like, okay, relax. Just relax. And, I'm trying to breathe and trying to you know, exhale and, and 
through all the things that you, you learn and you know when you're shooting you know let out a breath yep. you squeeze the trigger and it just it wasn't working i couldn't yeah. settle down and uh i've never been so out of control trying to shoot as <laughs> an animal before yeah yeah and uh i don't know how many minutes passed but he finally took a step towards the brush and i think all he was doing was just taking a step but in my mind somewhere i perceived it as him getting away and, yeah right uh, and like I'm sitting there, I'm, I'm like purring out loud, saying, "Please God, let me be steady." And uh, just then, you know, it had clouded over. It had been sunnier earlier, and it clouded over. And just then, like this one shaft of sunlight just shoots down, and I'm like, "Whoa!" It was like just blew me away, you know. I'm like, "Okay, this yeah. is it," you know. And uh, he takes that step, and I'm thinking to myself, "Oh no, you don't." <laughs> and I don't remember it happening. I don't remember pulling the trigger or anything. And the gun just goes off. I mean, I don't even remember consciously doing it. It was just like yeah. one of those things where you're just, you know, you're you're not even in your own body. You know, it's like you're watching yeah. from from above. Right, right. You're watching a dream. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And the gun goes yeah. off, and you know, I instantly realized that I'm shooting a 270 with 130 grain bullets, and I I'm instantly ready for a follow up shot. Right. And yeah. I, you know. You know, you get jarred from the recoil, and you're trying to refine the target and the scope, and I can't see it. And I, I pick my head up, and I look above the scope, and I can't see it. And I stop and listen for, you know, a moose crashing through the woods, and I don't hear it. Mm. It's like this slow realization. It's like, if I can't see it or hear it, he's got to be down. Yeah. And at that at that moment, it's just like this whole mix of emotions where it's like, you're elated that you shot a moose, but you're like freaked out. Cause like if that thing's injured and you walk up on it, he's not going to be happy. So <laughs> yeah, um, right. <laughs> it, was, it was pretty, it was like this whole soup of emotions going through me. Um, so I marked the waypoint of where I was standing and I, I marked where the moose was. Um, there was, he was out in this grassy meadow along the lake, but there was two trees in the background. So I kind of used those trees as a reference point to say, Hey, that, yeah. that's the area to look. And, uh, I jumped in a canoe and I'm pretty sure you put a water ski behind the canoe the way I paddled that thing. <laughs> I was, I was flying. <laughs> and, uh, I got up there and, you know, I was paddling so fast and all of a sudden I get to the shore and then like, they, I just totally balked. And it's like, wait a minute, wait a minute. Um, what is what's going to happen if I come walking through here? And, you know, what if he's down there? And what if he's injured? And I, I just totally hesitated. Now I'm afraid of what I'm going to find. And I, right. I kind of stood up in the canoe and I looked and I could see the antlers sticking up in the air. Nice. And, uh, I watched him for a minute and and he he's not moving. He's dead. And yeah. Wow. It was just utter disbelief. Wow. And uh, I walked up on him. <laughs> I walked up on him and he he was dead and I uh, kind of looked at the shot and like I said I was a little bit rattled to shoot at this an- animal and I was uh, shooting for the the shoulder and I I uh, I hit him in the neck I was about a foot and a half away from where I was shooting or from where wow. I was aiming but as it turned out it was an excellent shot because I I hit him right in the vertebrae and you know, the grass hadn't even been moved. You know, he hadn't even kicked when he went down. I mean, he was dead before wow. the ground. So, wow. Yeah. It was an awful shot, but it was a great shot. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. 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 <laughs> yeah. That. My goodness. Like, so, uh, so, 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 yeah. so, I mean. So then it's you, like, 
you're walking up to it and it's like you're just you're trying to pinch yourself yeah exactly and it's it's like you know you're just elated i mean it's, yeah it's, it's awesome to walk up on a big buck but this is something totally different you know it's, yeah it's not it's just not the same i mean right yeah um this is it's exotic i guess is the way to put it you know and i so now it's like this whole i mean i'm talking to the camera like just I can't even believe it. I'm just in shock at yeah. this point. And, uh, but then there's kind of the, the sudden grim realization that now I got to do something with this thing. <laughs> yeah. And, right. <laughs> uh, I don't remember what time it was, but it was, I think, I don't remember what time the sunset at that time of the year. It was probably nine or 10 o'clock at night. Yeah. And it had to be, you know, probably half hour before dark when I shot him. And, uh, so I decided to just leave him lay and just, hope that nothing touched him overnight and I paddled back to my campsite and, and uh, which is already set up and I'm just gonna, you know, get a good night's sleep and, and deal with this in the morning. And uh, yeah. I, I didn't sleep real well that night. I was a little excited, but yeah, I, yeah I imagine so. <laughs> so the, the next day, yeah, I paddle over that quick and I'm really anxious, you know, about what I'm going to find. And luckily nothing had touched it overnight. And then you just kind of get down to business and, you know, I've, I've butchered enough deer to kind of understand, you know, the anatomy of it and how it works, but this is on a whole another level, you know, the right. you know, these hindquarters are massive. Um, yeah. and I ended up weighing one of them when I got home and it was like right at a hundred pounds. Man. Wow. Hindquarters. Wow. And, uh, Man. so I, I'm sitting there trying to butcher this thing and try not to, um, puncture, you know, with a white tail, you know, I'd normally gut it and take it home, but with the, the moose, I just quartered it. So I never got into the guts. Yeah. Um, it just, you know, it was, it was a little easier that way. The, the size, I looked at the moose's stomach. It was about as big around as, I don't know, it was about three feet across probably. Wow. It was, it was just amazing. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, so I, I worked on it all day and I, I, at this point, my phone was dead. I don't have a concept of time, but I think it was probably around eight hours it took me to, to do this, not not Man. knowing what I was doing and just kind of yeah. doing it out. I'd quarter up the animal and put the meat in game bags and rest it across the gunnels of the canoe and try yeah. to get, you know, that's that's another thing where if you're doing a hunt like that, there's a lot to learn. You know, somebody like me, I've, I've been hunting for a long time at that point, but I hadn't dealt with, you know, any deer that I'd ever shot, I could just take it home and, and deal with it, you know, no. Yeah, right. Wilderness and, and you got to you gotta do something with that meat and protect it. So you put it in, yeah. in game bags uh, to keep the flies out, and you want to keep the air circulating so the meat doesn't spoil, and you want right. to try to keep it, you know, you don't want the meat touching the, uh, compacting against the ground. You want to try to have the air underneath it as well so right. you can take care of the meat. And, uh, you know, one, you just want to do that, you know, because it's the right thing to do, but it also in Alaska, yeah. they're extremely strict on, on the rules. Like when you're bringing that animal out, the, the, the head of that animal, the horns, the, the antlers, whatever it is, that is the last thing that comes out. The meat takes top priority. So you right. sure. sure you're doing this right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, uh, I worked on it, you know, for several hours that day, I got them all quartered up and, I, uh, I caped it out because I was really excited about this nice head mount that I'm going to have in my living room wall for this, you know, Alaskan moose. Yeah. And uh, so I, I uh, got everything loaded in the canoe. This is a 14 and a half foot canoe. 
and with a moose and me in it with all my, you know, most of my gear back at camp, it was, uh, there was about two inches of freeboard on this canoe paddling across this lake. Oh, so man. Very, very <laughs> right. careful paddle. Yeah. <laughs> I, I get back to camp and I realize it's probably late enough that in the day that I don't want to start taking them out tonight. So I'm just going to camp here. And so I went to bed that night, you know, with my moose and, and near my camp here and all, you know, snuggled in warm in my sleeping bag, feeling very good about myself and not realizing what I was in for the next couple of days. Uh, very naively not realizing what, what I was about to go through. Yeah. So yeah, I had two options at this point. Um, I could either portage back. And I think it was, it was going to be five portages and I knew the first one was going to be a mile. So I'd have to oh. carry everything. That's all my gear plus the moose plus the canoe um, and I know the first port is going to be a mile. Wow. Um, or, or the other option was, um, there's a creek that was a, a mile and a quarter long that came out the end of Dean Lake. And you paddle down this creek, and then if you paddle 19 miles down the Swanson River, you get to where I locked the bike. And then at the bike, it was just an easy 12-mile bike ride back to my truck. Oh, my that goodness. That was be, I decided that was an easier way to go because then I didn't have to carry everything. Right. Yeah. So that's that's what I what I chose to do. So the following day, I uh, decided to paddle down the Swanson River back to the bike and and then ride back to the truck. And uh, so I loaded up all the all my gear and all my meat and I began paddling across Jean Lake and I got to the creek and there's a beaver dam. So I had to unload everything out of the canoe, push the canoe <laughs> over the dam, and then reload everything. Oh goodness. And, uh, <laughs> So, okay, and I jumped back in the canoe and with my very naive apple cheek grin on my face, and I began paddling for about 20 yards, and uh, I hit, I bottomed out, I hit gravel. Uh, <laughs> so I, uh, uh. I, had to, I had to get out and slog through the, you know, the water with my, you know, my hiking boots and my pants on, and, yeah. and uh, I had to reach down and grab the nose of the canoe and, and just give it a yank, and I, I could yank it for about a foot, and then I'd take a step back and yank it again. And I, you know, went across the little gravel bar, maybe, I don't know, five yards long. And I get back on the canoe and I paddle 10 yards and then I, the same thing happens. Uh, and, uh, that became, that became the pattern. Like you could go, it, it got to the point where I realized it didn't even pay to get back on the canoe. And so it began this game of just getting out and pulling the, the canoe across the gravel. And, um, it wasn't, uh, my mantra became deep water floats the boat. You want to get to these deep stretches and, yes. and uh, not be exerting yourself so hard. Right. And uh, and this went on for a while, and I just kept thinking that, you know, it was going to get better, and it, it wasn't. And finally got to an area, you know, it, it began in a meadow, and I finally got to an area, went through the woods, and I, I went up ahead, and I, I, I decided to do some scouting. And I found seven fallen trees that I was going to have to, you know, unload the canoe, put the canoe over the trees, and then reload the canoe because you can't have a, a chainsaw in this area. It's not allowed. Yeah, right. All these fallen trees have been sitting here. And, and uh, at this point, it really was getting to me. And I'm looking at this moose head and cape, and I don't know what it weighed. It, it was a, it was a decent-sized rack. It wasn't a monster, but it was a 42-inch rack. Yeah. And I've got the head intact and the cape and, you know, between the head and the cape, it's probably four or five feet long. 
and I'm carrying it, and the cape is dragging in the water, and it's getting wet, and it's probably going to spoil because it's you know 50 or 60 degrees. Yeah. And, and the antlers, and the antlers are in velvet too, and I want to preserve the velvet. Yeah. And at this point, at this point, it became reckoning time, and I, I'm like, I really had my heart set on having a head mount, but I can't keep doing this. Yeah. And uh, so I'm. I decided to cut the, the rack off and just take the rack and leave the head and cape behind. Yeah. And it was one of those deals where, you know, if you cut the skull, skull cap off of a white tail before, you kind of get the idea. You, you cut down and then cut up above the eye sockets and kind of cut out a little wedge of skull. And uh, with a moose, that's that's a lot bigger piece of <laughs> yeah. skull. Yeah. And, uh, I, I luckily brought along a, a hacksaw uh, that I could fold up and, um, you know, as soon as you make that first cut, you've ruined your mouth and it was right. kind of like you hold your breath and you just, am I going to do this? Am I going to do this? And you, and I did it and it's like, okay, it's done. You know, now I'm yeah. now I, there's no turning back. Right. And as I made the last, the very last saw connecting the, the two cuts, the saw blade broke in half on me. And it's oh, like, if that would have happened a minute earlier, the mount is already ruined, but at this point, I've got no choice but to keep carrying everything. You know? Right. Kind of yeah. Like, things went wrong, but they went just right enough to keep me going. And I was so lucky. And I was so lucky that I didn't twist an ankle or get hurt or cut myself because, you know, I was in the middle of nowhere. Nobody really knew where I was. And, right. Yeah. And self-rescue is your only option. And I, I didn't realize how naive I was until after the fact. <laughs> right. Man, yeah. But uh, so that brings up a that brings up another point. I was wa- I was wondering about when you were um, uh, you know, breaking the moose down. <clears throat> did you was your knife just like constantly doling up on you, or did you bring like multiple blades for that reason? Because you were thinking, you know, if I get something, this is going to be a huge animal. Or did you just kind of have to like uh, tough it through with a with a blade that was just getting pretty dull by the end of breaking all these quarters down and all the other meat you took? Yeah, well, I, I purchased a brand new knife before the hunt, so it, it still had a good, you know, great edge on it. And uh, um, you know, it would have been a good idea to bring a sharpening stone, which I didn't, but <laughs> uh, or you know, replacement blades or something. But uh, yeah, yeah, um, I, I, it wasn't a problem, and I brought. Um, I brought the coming along, which I used to, when I popped the, uh, the ball and socket joints out of the, the hind quarters, I, I winched, used uh, oh. a long rope. I had about 50 feet of rope or, or more, I think, that I tied to a tree and I brought a come along just in case, you know, the moose fell and, and floated, you know, fell out in the water or something. I'm yeah. i got to be able to move right. this animal. So I had to come along and some rope, which, and I was able to, you know, work the ball and socket joint apart using that. Um, so I didn't have to, you know, dull my knife blade on anything. And, and then I had the hacksaw on to, you know, cut off <clears throat> different cuts of, of rib or, or whatever for that purpose. That's a great so I was, tip. I was pretty well covered there. Yeah, that's a great tip, the come along idea. I would have never... I would have never thought of that, but that's that's so true. You know, when you're hunting an animal that spends so much time in the water, I don't think any any of us are going to want to pass up on our shot if our, the only shot that pre- presents itself is this moose standing there. Yeah. You know, in the in m- amongst all the semi-aquatic vegetation that he's he's feeding on, then 
man, yep. we're, we're going to want to take that shot. But now you're exactly right. How do you uh, get that thing, get that thing to a position where you can actually work on it? That's, yeah. I would have never yeah. thought of that. That's a, that's a fantastic even, tip. Even if he, you know, if he runs off and falls down on the alders or slumped against some tree and you can't, he's out of position, you can't work on him, you know, then, then you have the power to, to at least do something. Yeah. So, right. Yeah. And, and another thing that I want to say too is um, when you're out there, um, you really got to learn to draw on your own resourcefulness. Like I, I had two backpacks of gear and everything becomes a tool and everything has more utility in, in a situation like that than the normal. Like at one point I thought I bumped my scope and I'd brought the Alaskan hunting regulations along with me. And uh, I had the, the section that was specific to moose hunting. I had uh uh, in a Ziploc bag, but, uh, the rest of the booklet, I, I, uh, at one point I, I taped up, uh, I had a piece of duct tape that I used as a bullseye and I, I taped it, uh, a sheet of the, the regulations to some sticks. I used that as a target to make sure the scope was still on. Sure. And, uh, and these paper regulations, they became a tool. Like, um, I could have used them at any point to, to start a fire, but every night I would take the, the paper pages out of this booklet and I would sop up all the moisture in my tent, and rather than just burn it, it, it became a sponge for me. And then every yeah. evening, I would just drive the pages. I'd drive the pages near the fire, rather than just burn them. Um, they were my tool. That's that's all I had. Yeah. You know? and yeah. Everything goes double duty. I mean, you know, duct tape is just it can be used for anything. You know, rope, knife. I mean, all these things. You really kind of get in your head, and you really think about what, how can I really utilize the stuff that I yeah. have. And yeah, right. You get really resourceful. Yeah, that's a that's another good tip. You just have to think through every little detail because like you said, <laughs> you're at some point going to be in a position where truly self-rescue is kind of your only option if things go bad. So, it's just good practice to think through yeah. how can I use everything that I have to to uh solve the problems that I'm going to encounter. So speaking of problems encountered, you're really struggling to get down this river. And I'm guessing at this point, and just with the way the current was, turning around probably wasn't an option. Is that correct? Yeah, there was, there was no way I wanted to go back through what I'd already been through. Um, yeah. But yeah, at this point, you just kind of you put your head down and go, you know. Um and that's where the stubbornness kicks in. Yeah. But uh, at this point, you know, now I've got seven trees in a row that I have to unload everything and reload everything. And and it, now at this point, I've been out. Um, I think I shot the moose on the sixth day of the hunt, I believe. Mm-hmm. And so now this is, we're talking like I'm eight days in. I haven't seen a person, you know, since the yeah. second day of the trip. I haven't spoken right. to anybody in, in over a week. And, uh, and, and now I'm, now I realize that I'm I'm battling. Now I realize that things are going downhill fast. Yeah, and I can't, yeah. I can't just, you know, it's not like you you drop a buck in a pick soybean field and you drive your truck out to him and pick them up. Now, right, right. Now I got to get this guy out. <laughs> you know, um, and and now I realize that I'm engaged in something pretty serious. Mm, um, yeah, yeah. I I'm miles from anywhere, and your only option is to succeed you can't you can't quit you can't give up i mean to just sit down and nobody's going to do it for you 
you got to get that meat out of there and you got to get out of there yourself and you got to make sure that nothing happens and you can't get careless and twist an ankle or something. And, and at this point, things got crazy. I mean, mentally, I started to, to go a little nuts. I had yeah, I, day, I was, I was upset. Things weren't going well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'd be dragging the canoe down the river and there'd be you know, branches from a fallen tree that would be scraping against the canoe. And I started yelling at the branches and, and, you know, just being like, what, you think you can stop me? You think you got me? And when I get by him, I, I taunt them like I'd won. And I, I started going a little crazy. Like, oh, man. I half realized it, but didn't fully realize sure. it. Sure. Yeah. You're, you're, you're going off the deep end here a little bit. And it was really getting to me mentally. And yeah. hunting is, is such a, you know, I'd, and I'd been in sports and stuff. And I realized how mental that, yeah. you know, that kind of stuff is. And. I was I was losing my mind. I was going a little crazy, and, and things weren't going well. Um, so it took me, and like I, I said, I don't know exactly the timing because my cell phone was dead at this point, so I didn't have a clock. But I think it took me about 14 hours that day. Um, this creek that I had to go down was a mile and a, a quarter, and I had made it about a mile. And after 14 hours, and I had, like I said, I'd been running out of um, – uh, fuel for, for my cook stove mm-hmm. and uh, the food that I had left, uh, I've got an entire moose with me, but all the food I've got left is stuff that has to be cooked. And I yeah. have oh, enough fuel for like two more short fires and all the woods are, are wet right now because it's been raining on me. Oh. And uh, so I kind of, I was like, well, what do I, what do I do? Do I, and it, you're working so hard and burning so much energy and I know I need mm-hmm. to eat, but I'm not hungry. Because I'm, yeah. a, you know, kind of that fight or flight response. And you're, yeah. you're not even thinking about that kind of stuff. And I, I forced myself to, I think I ate a granola bar all day. And I forced myself to eat that. But yeah. uh, that night, I'm like, well, what am I going to do? Am I going to, am I going to boil the water to drink? Or am I going to, you know, cook food to eat? So I, yeah. I, yeah. I, I, uh, I made some ramen noodles. I boiled them in water. And uh, I let the noodles cook or sit overnight because I wasn't even hungry. And then the next morning I, I ate the noodles and I drained all the water off into my water bottle and dumped a bunch of Kool-Aid powder into it. So it wasn't so bad. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh, <laughs> wow. That's what Exactly. You know, you, you kind of, when you're in that situation, you gotta, you gotta think about that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, yep. And, and that night I, you know, I, I had a dry bag along and, you know, when I, when I, shot the moose you know i jumped into the water my pants were wet my boots were wet because i got into the water to to get to shore to, to take that shot so everything was wet so i kept the clothing that was wet already i just kept wearing and i kept yeah. some clothes in the dry bag that was dry and when i went to bed that night it was just like being wrapped in a blanket having dry clothes on for the first time all day and it was just so yeah. wonderful and, and if i if i said i think it would have been trouble because the nights were cooling off you know right um, yeah to, to be going to bed with wet clothing would have just been awful <laughs> oh my goodness but, yeah uh, yeah so uh, the next day I, I had about a quarter mile to go and the creek had gotten not only um shallower but it had gotten narrower and mm. uh as i went to bed as i went to bed that night the, the canoe was wedged in between rocks there was no place to camp really there was one little spot a high spot in an otherwise wet area where I just big enough to pitch a tent. And, uh, I went to bed that night sleeping, you know, the canoe with all the moose meat is about 10 yards from my tent. And I went to bed that night 
with a, a can of bear spray and a loaded rifle. And <laughs> yeah. anything else with me that night, they were, they were going to be dealing with a very, very angry individual. So that bear <laughs> yeah. was going to have his work cut out. Cause I was, yeah. I was in the don't mess with me mode. <laughs> yeah, maybe all, maybe all your first. maybe all your uh, crazy uh, celebrations and tauntings on the river kept the bears away from you. <laughs> like we're we're not going to mess with this guy. They could have been. Yeah, I was in no mood to be messed with. Like, like that. <laughs> so yeah. the next morning, I, uh, I I scouted ahead. I found the the river. It was about a quarter mile downstream, but the the river was so rocky at this point. I just I picked up everything and just portaged it that last quarter mile. Mm-hmm. And uh, the canoe was, you know, if, when a canoe was, I think I had one quarter that I left in the canoe that I just kind of fought it down the river through the rocks, but I made it to the river. And uh, so it was, it was like, hallelujah. <laughs> Only 19 miles to go to the, to get to the bike, you know? Oh my and, goodness. Uh, so, the, so the river at least was deep enough that I was able to float, which was a huge, huge relief, but it wasn't, mm-hmm. you know, this, wonderful like okay sit back and let the current take me it was a pretty slow moving river i mean there was lily pads growing in this river yeah um, yeah so it was pretty slow moving and, and to go through the lily pads you know with a fully weighted canoe i'd had to get a kind of a head of steam going and, and ram my way through with a paddle yeah. that you couldn't really take a forceful stroke with because it might snap in half right, <laughs> right. <laughs> so it was getting a little crazy but it was so a million times better than going down that creek yeah and uh, i began paddling that evening sometime it was still daylight i don't know what time it was and at this point i'm like i'm going home i'm getting out of here i've, I've had enough you know this, yeah this isn't fun anymore you know right. earlier i'd been wishing that i had somebody along to to enjoy this with and now i'm like i wouldn't wish this on my worst enemy this is awful and yeah. uh, i'm getting out of here tonight and i started paddling and uh I think there was one point, I think one time in the darkness, I, I got hung up on a rock where I had to get out and, and lurch the canoe over the rock. But otherwise, I was able to stay in the canoe and just paddle. And uh, at this point, you know, my, my shoulders were kind of aching and stuff. But, but, you know, and my hands were, you know, pretty from all that drag and all that grip. The oh, yeah. Drag the canoe. I, don't just know, worn out. I don't know what that weighed. Yeah, but I mean, my, my, there was calluses all over my hands and there was yeah. blood and it was it wasn't pretty man but yeah this was so much easier at this point now i'm just now i'm just paddling um and uh, i do a lot of duck hunting so i've paddled canoes in the in the dark before and it doesn't mm-hmm. really bother me much and and you know there's wet meadows here along the river there wasn't you know good solid land anyway and i, I was had it made up in my mind that i'm getting out of here i'm just gonna keep going right and uh, i had the the canoe landing marked on my GPS so I, I could tick it off. It's like 19 miles, now 16 miles, now eight miles, you know, and yeah. it had a goal in mind. And, and, and finally it felt like I was making a little bit of progress. Um, and uh, I was just in full, I'm, I'm so done mode and I'm coming out tonight and I don't care. I'm not stopping. And uh, finally I'm going along and I, I, I'm down to like two miles and I'm like just getting giddy at this point. Like I'm almost, this is almost done. Yes. Right. And, uh, and, uh, I'm going along and I hear rushing water up ahead and I'm like, Oh no. Oh, and boy. I get up there. Oh. I, didn't, I, I had a flashlight. I didn't have a headlamp, but I had a flashlight and I get up there and there's like a, a little, I don't know, beaver dam or something going across the water. And uh, I got up there and I held myself against it and I shone the light and there's, a little 
you know, slot in the middle where you, you can, you know, poke a canoe through. And then there's like a three foot drop. And then there's a rock in the middle and there's a tree branch on the left side. And I'm looking at this thinking, I'm looking at the GPS. I'm like, I'm a mile from getting out of here. Yeah. It's dark. And I have no idea what time it is. I don't know when it's going to be daylight. And right. I'm like, I, I'm done. I, I want out. And looking back, I wouldn't have done this again, but I decided to go for it. I'm, I'm mm. going to do this in the dark. <laughs> wow. In hindsight, I mean, if I flip that canoe, I mean, everything's gone. I mean, right. I'm gonna, oh, I don't yeah. know how deep yeah, the water's yeah. going to be. I got to get, yeah, you know, right. it was, I was risking everything. And, but at this point, yeah. I was just in the totally just burned out. Yeah, just wanted to be out of there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I just kind of shown the light. I kind of memorized the route in my head. And uh, I, I came over the edge of the dam and dropped down and, the canoe landed, you know, upright. I, I dug hard on the left side and flipped the, you know, turned the nose to the to the left quick and then, you know, swung it back to the right and and uh, I made it out of there and I just wow. I mean, that was just wow. That was that was like victory at that point and I mean yes. I, think I could still do that. I think I could still do that right to this day because I I just that route is memorized in my head of how I had to get around that. Yes. And, that gave you the last <laughs> bit of energy you needed. That that I'm sure that amped you up Pretty a little much. bit getting through that. Yeah, that last mile was a breeze. Yes. And, uh, I get back. I get back to the canoe landing, and it's like I got my moose. I made yes. it 19 miles down this river. All I got to do now is get on this bike and ride 12 miles to my truck, and it's done. And this is yes. like the easiest phase yet. I mean, it's a 12 mile bike ride, but this is compared to what I've done. This is easy. Yes. And, uh, I started walking around in the woods and there'd been some people at the landing when I was down there. So I, I took the bike into the woods and I locked it to a tree and I couldn't sure. find the bike. And it's oh. dark. I don't oh, know. No. I have no idea. I have no idea how long it's going to be till it's light. My clothes are wet. I'm walking around. I don't want to just sit around in wet clothes waiting for the sun yeah. to come up. And right. just, it's just, I can't believe it. You know, it's like, I've come so far. How, how is this happening now? And yeah. uh, so after about a half hour, I couldn't find it, and I just decided to just walk. And uh, oh, like, I've got 12 miles to walk. It's probably going to take me three or four hours. Just just swing your arms, walk fast, and, and get this done, you know. And my truck is parked at, at the very end of a 29-mile dead-end gravel road. And, you know, I'm thinking to myself, what are the odds that somebody's going to come down here? Maybe I could, maybe I could hit a ride or something. I'm like, right. are you crazy? I mean, why would anybody come down here? You know, and right. I started walking and, uh, I bet I hadn't gone a half a mile and all of a sudden I can see lights coming. Oh and man. I'm, I'm just like in disbelief at this point. Yeah. And I, I turn around and I stand right in the middle of the road with both arms up and I'm like, stop, just stop. <laughs> And they, they pull over, and they got to be just absolutely shocked to see somebody walking down this road at God knows what right. hour this is. And they're Man. like, what are you doing? And I'm like, I'm like, there isn't any chance you could give me a ride to the end of the road. Like, what are you doing out here? And I'm like, I'm, I'm moose hunting. I shot this moose, and the, guy, and the passenger piped up. He's like, I know. He's like, I can tell you shot it. He's like, I can smell it. <laughs> and I mean, oh, yeah, these, yeah, right, right. From carrying all these quarters, you know, these yeah. little blood seeping out. Stuff. I mean, I, I did not smell good, but 
to my credit, it wasn't all me. It was, it was mostly Moose Small. But yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> uh, so they they said, you know, hey, that's where we're going too. We're going moose hunting too. That's that's where we're going to start. Hop in, and uh, so I I get this ride back, and it's like, wow, what a what a break, you know? Yeah. And as as I'm as I'm riding with these guys, they're a good company. But as I'm riding, we all commented like, wow, this seems like a long drive, and I'm like. Yeah, it really does. And I'm thinking, wow, I am so lucky I didn't have to walk this or bike this, you know? Yeah, right. Um, at that point, we get to my truck, and I would have given them all the money I had, but I realized that my wallet was back in the canoe. Oh. <laughs> I couldn't do anything. Oh. Um, so I, I just gave them a sincere thanks and, and uh, pointed, gave them the best pointers I could. And, yeah. They they were going out moose hunting too, and and I said, well, I've seen three moose in uh, in ten days now, and one of them was a bull, and that one's now dead. But uh, best of luck, guys. Yeah, <laughs> and, right. Uh, oh man. So I made it back to the truck. I'd, I'd been dreaming, you know, I hadn't eaten or drank much, and I I don't drink energy drinks, but I'd, somebody had given me one, and I had it sitting in the truck, and I was dreaming about this energy drink. <laughs> I was so thirsty and. And I go to drink it, and for one thing, I do not like the taste of them, but uh, I go to drink it, and from not having any food in my stomach for so long, I, I had heartburn, and all those stomach acids coming up, I couldn't even swallow, oh, yeah. I couldn't even drink this thing. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I drive back to the truck, or uh, drive the truck back to the canoe, I, there's a gate there, you can only get about 50 yards from the canoe, and I realize that now that I've been inactive for the first time in hours, I realize that I can't bend my fingers anymore. I can't, everything's just seizing up and cramping up on me. Sure. I just can't do anything. And I get back to the canoe and I, I grabbed the lightest bag that I had, the lightest article I had, and I carried it back. And then it was like, it was like stretching before, you know, doing yoga or something. Like, now, now that I can do this, now I can upgrade to this. And eventually <laughs> I got to the, the bigger moose quarters and finally I get the last moose quarter and I'm bear hugging this thing and I'm sprinting with the truck and I just, heave it out of the tailgate and I just <clears throat> just thoroughly exhausted but done and uh, the last thing I had to do at this point was I had to go find that bike because it wasn't my bike right yeah right and now right. now it was just starting to get daylight and after a little while of, of searching I found it so note to self always mark your your bike on your GPS. <laughs> yeah. and uh, as I drove home I finally saw a bear across the road the first bear I'd seen in 10 days and that was just fine with me <laughs> Yep. Yes, right. Yeah, you didn't. You didn't need anything else at that point. Man, right? <laughs> Man, alive! Wow, wow! What I a mean, trip, though. I mean, yeah, true, yeah, something you never that, ever that is, forget. That is a true. Just, I think maybe the right word for it is raw adventure. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah, raw adventure. Like you that. you yeah. just you you stripped it down to man versus man versus uh the wilderness and you came out with not only a, a truckload of meat uh and a and a nice skull cap but man the, what a story that is just that is crazy how long did it take you to really start feeling like man i'm pretty lucky or i'm pretty fortunate that this all ended up working out was it was it like as soon as you were back in your truck did those kind of thoughts like hit you or was it not until you know you're you're driving back from alaska to wisconsin where this is all just kind of like 
dawning on you like, man, this really happened. I really did this. You know, I, I really don't remember. It was just, it was one of those things where I, I conscious, excuse me, I consciously remember thinking that, you know, at some point this is going to be really cool and I'm going to look back on it and think it's really awesome. I, I don't really remember when that kicked in, but I knew that, I knew that I had something good and that, you know, I'd won something there, you know, and there were yeah. so many things, so many times that, you know, one, you know, like I said, with that saw blade, if that breaks earlier, you know, when I'm trying yeah. to cut the skull cap off or, you know, if I would have gotten hurt or, or, you know, I had enough food and I was able to, you know, cook, you know, some moose meat and, and you know, get by. I mean, I had just enough every, every time the chips were really down, and yeah. had to go one way or another, it always felt just enough in my favor that I was able to come through. And, mm-hmm. and, 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 and you know, it, it'd be easy to fault me. You know, you could say, you know, well, you should have been better prepared. And, and you're absolutely right. You know, um, you know, I could have been better. I could have had more fuel. I could have um, known better how to build fires with wet wood and, and been a better woodsman. But, you know, when, when the chips are down, you, you just kind of got to rely on your guts and your instincts and, and I did the best I could, and, and I got lucky, and I had some help from above, maybe, but I made it through. Yes, and that's yep. that's kind of what counts. Yes, yeah. Definitely. My goodness. Well, the the question is, uh, are you? Would you ever slash? Are you looking forward to planning another moose hunt? What are your thoughts? You know that. The moose hunt thing, it's something that I'd wanted to do for a long time, and I really love moose. I think they're incredible animals. And yeah. I'm fascinated by them. And I, I've been scheming about this, you know, for a long time, uh, about how I was going to shoot a moose. And, and it kind of happened before I really ever expected it would happen. I figured I'd be, you know, sure. 40, 50 years old before I ever got a chance. And it, yeah. it, the opportunity came along. And it was about a year or two ago where I started looking um, the moose season now in Minnesota is closed. We still do have some moose around, but the season's closed now. Um, okay. because the numbers are, are going down. And I started, you know, kicking around looking at Maine and, you know, how hard it would be to get a tag out there. And I stopped and I, I realized that one is enough. And yeah. I, I really love these. I love these animals. I think they're really magnificent creatures. And it's such a, it's such a big animal and yeah. I think I've got my moose and I can go shed hunting. I can find moose antlers. I, I think I'm good. Um, yeah. and I told myself while I was doing that hunt that I would never, ever do that again. I would never go <laughs> down that river. Sure. And now, now there's definitely a part of me that, that wants to go back, you know, and, and see that river again and just yeah. kind of relive what I went through, you know, not with having, not having the moose in the canoe with me, but just to get right. it down. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. Well, yeah. so so if you had to, you know, you're saying that one's enough. What what's your next dream hunt? What do you think? What what would you? What are you planning something? You know, coming up in the next, you know, year or two or even further. What do you think? I don't really have anything on tap right now, but the following okay. year we did end up going. Uh, caribou hunting up on the north slope you know north mm-hmm. circle and that was absolutely incredible and i do really want to get back and do that again nice yeah, nice now now you did that with a with a a friend a buddy or two yeah i, I learned my lesson i, I brought a <laughs> <guys> <laughs> 
now, 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 here's a question I have for you, Joe. I'm sure there were times when you were on this hunt that you probably felt more like you were doing a canoeing trip and maybe even a fishing trip than a hunting trip. Um, just because, you know, it's like, all right, I'm going to paddle across this lake. All right, now time for this portage, you know. Yeah, I, I've done that. I, I've done that kind of a trip before where it's just like, you know, this is our plan for today. We're to get from this lake to this lake. We got this many portages in between. And I imagine you probably kind of almost battled that feeling a little bit like, oh, yeah, I'm hunting. Did, did that happen? Or uh, were you pretty much just scanning everything for, for moose the whole time? Yeah, well, you know, I, I figured the chances of seeing a moose were best in the evening, so I, I kind of tried to do my paddling in the mornings and have camp set up early, eat an early supper so that I could go out, you know, in the okay, evening sure, and, yeah. and watch watch for moose. Um, yeah. I, I guess that was kind of my philosophy. Sure. Yeah. And then the other question that I had along with that, you're a big-time shed hunter, and you were in prime moose country, and... I have heard that when you go caribou hunting, there's like caribou sheds laying all over the place. Did you uh, did you do any shed hunting on either of those trips? Well, I can't ever really turn that off. I, uh, I can't <laughs> go out in the woods and not be looking for antlers. Um, I actually did find a shed, <laughs> a moose shed on that trip. Um, and when I was uh, caribou hunting, we did find... Uh, uh, several antlers. Uh, we, we only found one bull antler, one bull shed that was you know, quite large, but we found a mm-hmm. lot of, uh, I don't know if they were cow or even calf antlers that were just okay. real small, like a, a you know, foot long and you know, unbranched to spikes and stuff. Um, sure, yeah. And they weren't everywhere. I, that's That's been my a dream of mine, too, to just get in a bush plane and fly over so you can see caribou sheds laying everywhere and just tell the pilot to put me down and come back for me later <laughs> yeah right exactly <laughs> oh man yeah i'd love to do that yep yep i'm the same wow. way man it's like it it just uh kind of gets in your gets in your brain a little bit and it happens it hits me when i'm driving down the road it hits me when i'm doing summer prep work for deer season or yeah. whatever you're yep. just always looking for them so i uh i always have to tell myself when i'm deer hunting it, it usually takes the first hour of opening day I'm staring at the ground, and I have to tell myself, keep your eyes about three feet above the ground. That's what it needs to be. <laughs> yep, yep, that's right, that's right. Yeah, sometimes when I see those uh, those shows, like um, they're on the History Channel, Alone, where they drop these people off all by themselves, and they try to last yeah. as long as they possibly can. It's like, man, yep. I'd just go shed hunting the whole time. <laughs> I'd, be, right. I'd be all right. <laughs> Oh no, that's that's uh that's man, such a great story, such a such a cool story. Well, thanks so much, Joe, for for sharing that with us and yes. and with the listeners. And you know, one of the obviously, there's a ton of tips all along throughout here for somebody who's wanting to maybe take a take a swing at a moose hunt someday. And and I hope somebody does. And I hope I get that chance. And I hope Brandon gets that chance. Yeah. Maybe maybe yeah. we'll maybe we'll do that together. Um, yes. But the the other part of it is your story is full of adventure, and we we say it so many times on the show that that that's what really pulls people back into it 
year after year, decade after decade is, is that love for the adventure. And, um, you know, your, your story is, is just ripe with that. I mean, it's, yeah, it's, it's just so it, you, you were in a way a modern age mountain man when you did that trip, you know, I, I just mm. got these pictures of these guys who were, you know, like you mentioned, you kind of threw caution to the wind. Maybe it was a little bit of naivety or, or maybe it was, you know, just that feeling of being invincible, but certainly chasing a dream and chasing an adventure and man, what a, what a story to, to pass along for hopefully for, uh, several more decades for you, you know, yes. into, yeah. th- through your life and, and share that with those that, 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 you know, and, and love and, and hopefully that's a story they can pass on for you as well. But we really, really appreciate you sharing it with us tonight. Thank you again, Joe. Yeah. Well, I don't, I don't know if you can tell, but I, I do love telling that story. It's, it's, like yes. said, it's awesome quite an story. adventure and just, you know, just something I'll never forget. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it's a story well worth worth telling. You know, we'd love yes. to have you back on the show again in the future too. Uh, we'd we'd uh, we'd love to do some focus on what you know about shed hunting and of mm-hmm. course uh, chasing those big old Northwoods, uh, huge vast timbers for uh, whitetails. Yep. Yeah, that'd be great. Anytime. Yeah, yeah, that would be. That would be awesome. So, well, gentlemen, um, thank you so much for coming on the call tonight, and uh, hope you guys have a uh, excellent uh, next few weeks as we wind down towards uh, deer season here. And Brandon, you're already in the thick of it over there yes. in Delaware, and mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> wish all the best of luck to you guys. And and thanks again for for coming on the show tonight. All right, see you guys. Thank you. Man, oh man, do I want to do a moose hunt. With a buddy, of course. What an incredible story. A true hunting, and I think the best word here is odyssey. A true journey where Joe was able to kind of face himself and see what he was made of, call upon all the skills he developed through all of his years as a hunter up to this point, and had that tangible reward of a pile of moose meat and a rack of antlers to carry back home to Wisconsin when he was done. If you are like Joe and you're looking at some of these dream hunts, the most important step is going. Do it while you still can. You gotta seize that moment. I really wanna thank Joe and Brandon for coming on the show. A huge thank you to them. Please go to Joe's pages, goshedhunting.com and check out Joe's YouTube channel, Joe Shed Outdoors, as well as the Go Shed Hunting Facebook page. Also, check out Brandon's channel at thehuntfishlife.com. You can find all sorts of sweet gear, some great hunting stories, and just you'll find yourself a whole bunch of smiles as you look at people truly enjoying the greatest parts of the outdoors. And finally, head over to firstgenhunter.com to find all the links to my social media pages and you will also find all kinds of articles and a link to the First Gen Hunter YouTube channel, which hopefully you're already following. If not, go ahead, hit that subscribe button 
and uh, hopefully you'll get to enjoy a bunch of good hunting content coming up here very soon. Please also remember to leave us a review on app that you choose to listen to podcasts through. That's a huge help to us. We're so thankful for your feedback that you give us. Well, folks, until next time, keep on getting out there. Keep on hunting. And when you do, take care and take someone hunting.